Listen, Dad. Are mobile suits more important to you than human beings? It almost looks like this mobile suit is shaking in terror. It's a mobile suit! Amaro, is that you inside that mobile suit? Let's just see. Let's test the reaction time of your brand new mobile suit. You alone are responsible for the mobile suit now. Is that understood? These are the days when you wish your bed was already made. It's just another mobile suit. Monday. Wish you were Sunday. That's my summer array. My idol has to run day. It's just another mobile suit. Monday. Amaro Ray Mobile suit In war, to keep the upper hand, you have to think two or three moves ahead of the enemy Hey guys, welcome back to another mobile-rific episode of Fanhole's Mobile Suit Mondays Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek Derek W.C. guiding you on a brand new journey with Mobile Suit Mondays. And joining me tonight are three, count them, three of my fellow Gundam enthusiasts. Why don't you guys all give a roll call Gundam shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight. Hey, it's Mike, and uh, I am not a Char. Hey, this is Justin, and I am a Char. (laughs) Hey guys, this is Tony, and man... Even in the first episode, Gun Tank and Gun Cannon just get no love. Yeah, that's because they're lame, except for when they're in <laughs> freaking Gundam the Origin, that's why. You can't, you can't use <laughs> tanks in space. <laughs> I didn't build it! So if you if you haven't figured it out, and I know I've been dropping hints and, and things all over the interwebs, that the big plan for Mobile Suit Mondays on fan holes moving forward was going to be an index show of the original Mobile Suit Gundam anime. There are 43 episodes in total. I believe there are 42 television-aired and English-dubbed episodes. We will endeavor to cover the evil, evil holiday special episode that Tamino wants all copies of burned and destroyed, because it'll be kind of fun. And that's the idea moving forward. I mean, obviously, we'll continue to intersperse this with other, you know, specials and shows as they come up and stuff like that but the the main thrust of mobile suit mondays moving forward is going to be the original 1979 mobile suit gundam anime and just to give some some background and overview on the creation of it and everything like that the original mobile suit gundam is created by a gentleman named yoshiyuki tomino And you're going to be hearing his name a lot. I think you probably already have heard his name a lot if you've been listening to this show. But he basically is kind of like the father of Gundam. I mean, he's the George Lucas of the Gundam franchise and everything. And just some some background on him. I mean, he started out in the heyday of anime. I mean, he was doing storyboards and scripts for what we know as Astro Boy, which is essentially like the first anime ever, which was Tetsuan Adam and everything. And he went on to become a prominent director for the anime studio Sunrise. And of course, another person who was credited as being the co-creator of Mobile Suit Gundam is Hajime Yatate, who is the founder of Sunrise. 
So both those people, you'll see their names if you're watching this original series and everything like that. Now, me and Mike have talked a lot about Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin, and he, in particular, since he's been reading it regularly, has made reference to the Origin manga. And it's interesting because the gentleman who does the Origin manga, that's Yoshikazu Yashuhiko, actually is responsible for the character designs in this anime. So he's the guy who designs all our main cast of characters, whether they be protagonists and antagonists. And then, of course, the mech designs, the mechanical designs, are designed by a gentleman named Kunio Okiwara. And so I guess the the big deal with that is he was one of the first, I guess, Japanese character designers or designers to be credited as a mech designer, because I guess maybe, I, I don't know if, you know, maybe he wasn't necessarily the first person to do it, but it, he was probably the first person given on-screen credit for specifically focusing on the mecha designs and everything like that. And I, I'm just curious, because I know for me personally, like, there are directors, I think, especially when I left college, or when I was in college, where I would sort of, I, I think it's that kind of delineation between, like, you like following a certain character or a certain franchise, and then realizing there's, you know, a human being behind some of the things that you like and enjoy, and then decide to follow that human being's work, as opposed to maybe a, you know, instead of like, oh, I'm gonna read and buy and watch everything about Mickey Mouse... You know, maybe from from a certain point in your life, you go, well, what did Walt Disney actually work on? And and maybe I'd like to look at his body of work because I enjoy it, you know. And so I think Yoshiyuki Tamino was one of those people who stood out to me. Like, I know I haven't seen everything that he's done, but I did have a period where when I was getting into Mobile Suit Gundam, and of course I, you know, when I get into something, I really, really get into it. And so, you know, I made an conscious effort to watch every bit of Gundam I could get my hands on, but also seeing his name, you know, Tomino's name on the property and knowing that he is essentially the father of the Gundam franchise, like, I enjoyed looking at his other works. So, like, you know, just to give an example of something that we'll get into is that, you know, he worked on series before Gundam. He worked on things like Brave Radine and Zambot 3. And I was just curious, like, I mean, I've seen some of those things. I've also seen things that he's worked on after he became famous for Gundam, whether it's like Aura Battler Dunbine or Overman King Gainer and stuff like that. I, I just wanted to put the question to the three of you, like, besides his other Gundam works, like, have you guys gotten into any other Tamino works? Is that something that sort of afflicted you as well, where he caught your eye as a director, or... I, I'm just kind of curious, because I imagine the answers may vary, but I'll I'll start with Justin, since he's to the left of me, and I see his his Char avatar staring at me. I've seen some of Zambot 3, but not a lot, but I think I think that's really the only thing, maybe a few episodes of Brave Raiding, but I don't okay. think I've really seen that much else outside of Gundam. Okay. How about you, Mike? Because I see Gene... Like giving me a, a smirk in the face on your avatar. Is there is there any other Tamino works or or were you also afflicted with the 
kind of compunction to watch all Gundam and things like that? Or what was it? I, I saw some of the what is it, the Ideon movies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's him, isn't it? Yeah, yep. like because I remember you said you like, man, he like fucking kills everyone in those yeah. movies, and yeah. he, he yeah. does. Yeah, he does. So. He does. He totally does. It's funny when I'm reading stuff on the wiki, they apparently credit Invincible Superman Zambot Three as where he got his nickname kill them all Tamino from but I kid you not like the the movie that we're talking about like there's space runway Ideon but there's there's two movies basically where it's like the first compilation movie is basically like a shortened version of the first you know 39 episodes or whatever until it was canceled or something like that and then the follow-up movie is called be invoked and that movie, like the finale of that, like to me, that's like, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, I haven't seen like Justin said, he's only seen some episodes of Zambot 3. And I'd say I'm the same, like I have not watched the whole series. So who knows, maybe it ends the same way as Ideon or something. But when I saw that movie, I was just like, wow, this is where he got his nickname, man. Like, I'm like, even the dog and the baby are dead. Like everybody's. Fucking dead. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, it's, Damn, it's, it's pretty brutal. Yeah. But uh, aside from that, yeah, like just Gundam basically for Tamino. Cool, cool. So I, I will I will end off with yourself, Tony, and ask you if you've been interested in any of Tamino's other works. And then I, I probably, not, like not to draw it out, but I will go down the list and kind of let people know what I have and haven't seen. Actually, I will Secret Brothers Mike. There in a Toy Fair issue, there was a blurb for Space Runway, Runway Ideon. And I was like, hey, this looks cool. I'll bet you it'll be a fun robot show, you know? Uh, ooh. No, you you guys are right. It was like, <laughs> I watched it, and I was like, I like that character. He's pretty, oh, oh never mind. Oh, I like that character. She's pretty, oh, never mind. <laughs> hey, the dog's cute. Oh, that dog dead. <laughs> just like, I mean, you got to know the characters. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't just like one and gone. But if you formed any kind of connection with the majority of the cast, you were definitely, you know, you definitely had your soul ripped out by the end of that. You know, you're just like, it looked nice, <laughs> but you just, yeah, you, you, you were kind of depressed after that, you know, I don't know if he worked on it. And if this ties into a question you're going to ask later, Derek, I'll just, you know, say ditto, but actually my, my first Gundam exposure, and I don't know if he worked on this series was actually not Gundam wing. That's when I really got into Gundam. But when I was in high school, my friend used to get a lot of tapes from blockbuster and actually, my first Gundam experience ever was actually Gundam War in the Pocket. And, you know, I don't know if you've got, if anybody who's listening has watched that, but it's a really nice OVA. It's just a, it's a one and done. It's like, you know, a movie and really good animation. And I don't know if he had anything to do with that at all. I think it would, if anything, it would just be like, you know, Stanley's name getting stamped on a Marvel comic that he had nothing to do with. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I figured, yeah. But yeah, I just wanted to mention that, you know, and like 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 I said, if you mention our first, you know, experience with Gundam, I'll go into detail about how I became more enthralled with Gundam for a while because unlike you and Mike and even Justin, I haven't really kept up with a lot of the more modern series, which is why I was kinda hyped to do this because I really do love like pretty much Gundam from like seventy nine to like the late nineties. That's like my that's my, my wheelhouse, so I'm I'm excited to do MSG. Yeah, yeah, this is this is for me this is exciting partly because I I get a chance to revisit Mobile Suit Gundam, but also I mean part of the impetus for us doing this too is that I recently got the Right Stuff anime Blu-ray sets 
And I think it's just going to be fun for me to revisit it that way and then talk with you guys about it, which, by the way, the the video and the audio on them are really nice. So it's it's fun. It's going to be a fun way to to sort of, you know, revisit this series and then talk with it or talk with you guys about it and everything. But just just going down like I, I did a quick cut and paste of like all the different things that that Tamino has worked on and everything and I I just put a little star by some of the things that I've either seen bits of or seen the whole series but and then it's interesting that you mentioned like you know sort of the I feel depressed after I watched you know Runway Ideon you know the conclusion of it and everything and I think it's important to note that like I was going through my Buffy 20s as we'll call them when I got into a lot of this stuff and depending on Tamino's particular mood at any given time he either makes things that are really fun and jovial or really depressing and miserable and I think the the sort of depressing and miserable stuff like not to to, not to shoo people away from this podcast but I think that was something that I I really it really spoke to me in my Buffy 20s if that makes any sense like I was I was all about the like you know this is hell and everything's like bad and woe is me and that kind of stuff so i think in that sense like it did it did speak to me at that particular time frame and then i also think it's interesting that some series i've never seen for for example i think they said that one of the series he worked on right after ideon was called combat mecha zabungle and i've never seen that but apparently it's like the most jovial like, you know, it's probably like the first 26 episodes of Double Zeta, you know, where everything's like wacky and Ewok shit and people are tripping. I mean, I don't know because I haven't seen it, but that's something I had read it described as like where he's, you know, who knows, maybe Tamino's bipolar. It's like one episode is miserable and then the next series is like, woo, happy, <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> you know. But, you know, apparently like going down the list of all the stuff that he's been a director on, he was a director on something called The Wandering Sun, which I've never heard of. Another series called Umi no Triton, which he was a director on. Another one called Star of the Sini which I've never seen. And then we start getting into stuff that I have seen bits of. He was a director on the first 26 episodes of Brave Radine. So like Justin said, you know, I've seen a few episodes of that. There's also Volts 5, which I've never seen, but apparently he was just a producer on that. Zambot 3, which we've talked about before. He was a writer and director. And then, of course, Dytarn 3, he was a writer director on. I've seen some of Zambot 3. I've never seen any of Dytarn 3. Mobile Suit Gundam then comes next. Space Runway Ideon comes next. I've seen both of those completely. And then we get into like a lot of the Mobile Suit Gundam compilation movies that were released later in the 80s. Then we get into the Ideon compilation movies, which again was in 82. And then the aforementioned Zabungle, which was in 82, which I have not seen. I do have all the DVDs for Aura Battler Dunbine that were released by Bandai Entertainment, and that was in 1983. And that's a little more fantasy. Like, it's kind of like if Gundam met Warlord, I guess, is the best way to describe it. I mean, that, that's kind of how I'd describe it. And then apparently there was a sequel to Zabungle called Zabungle Graffiti. Feedy, which I've never seen. And then now, from this point on, I think is where I really was into Tomino in general, because I've seen everything after this point. So everything from like 1984 on, I've seen 
him, you know, either the whole series or I've, you know, some of the newer ones like Tony's mentioning, maybe I've seen a few episodes of. But then there's Heavy Metal L Game, which was in 1984. It's another mecha series. There's Zeta Gundam, Double Zeta, Char's Counterattack, F91, Victory Gundam. There is the highly, what's the best word? The highly, highly, uh, what's the opposite of lauded? <laughs> the the highly criticized? Loathed? Yeah, the highly loathed. I don't know. I don't know what, what word I'm thinking of, but <laughs> there is there is the, the highly critiqued and, and much mocked Garzi's Wing, which is, is some people herald. Panned. Panned, yeah, wide, widely panned. There is the the much derided, I think is probably a good word, the much derided go. Garzi's Wing, and and that was a film in 1996, which he was the writer-director of. And then I do have all the Bandai DVDs for Brain Powered, which is another thing he worked on. It seemed like that was like his, his answer to Neo Genesis Evangelion, because it's a little... It's a little freaky deaky and weird, but like with Tamino sensibilities as opposed to the guys that worked on, you know, Evangelion, I guess. And then after that, in 99, there's Turn A Gundam. In 2002, there's Overman King Gainer. Like I said, I have all the DVDs for those. There is The Wings of Reen, which is kind of like, it's a sequel or a I don't know. It's it's like a, it's kind of like one of these like in the far flung future of Aura Battler Dunbine. Here's like another series. So again, it's kind of mecha, but fantasy kind of warlordy type stuff. But since it was an import, the DVDs I think had like two episodes on them a piece, and they were like a million dollars for each disc, or you know, it was something ridiculous. So I do not own those, but I have seen the series. And then finally, of course, there is the I guess controversial Gundam Reconquista in G from 2014, which I guess, I don't know, I, I did read something where they said, you know, Tomino apologizes for it or whatever. I don't see why he should have to. I've only seen a few episodes, but, you know, hopefully one of these days, you know, maybe we'll get sitting down and we'll get to talk about maybe the series as a whole altogether and kind of share our thoughts on it. But I, I've not finished watching that, but I have seen like the first three or four episodes of it. I see the first episode of that too. So I guess that counts. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I, I mean, I guess part of the reason why I wanted to go into that and, and this, you know, may or may not lead into, you know, how you guys discovered Gundam or, you know, maybe, you know, mecha or, or super robots and real robots. But basically I just wanted to bring up the idea that mobile suit Gundam really introduced what, they refer to as the real robot genre for mecha anime. Because, you know, looking at some of his previous works, and, you know, just going by, you know, you know, it's like that not to piss off somebody who probably never listens to the show anyway but you know it, you know thinking of things like transor z you know like stuff like that basically <laughs> like that that is something that that would be considered a super robot you know uh you know thinking of things like gigantor gigantor you know he's a super robot i mean obviously zambot 3 and and brave radine are super robots you know the shogun warriors are super robots and i guess all they mean by that is you know it, it's very much 
in the realm of of DC Comics characters. They're they're fun. They're they they when they come on the scene, they save the day. And there's not a lot of introspection or you know looking at the ramifications of what it would really mean if there was this massive robot fighting with monsters or other robots or anything like that. I would say you know not not to not to simplify it, but but I mean you know sort of it's, at it's a, a lot of larger than life stuff. Yeah, it's a larger-than-life kind of scenario. I mean, I, I think it's fair to make the comparison between, you know, Silver Age DC Comics and then when, you know, Stanley and Jack Kirby came on the scene in the 60s. And, you know, yeah, you can make arguments that, you know, certain Silver Age comics like Green Lantern incorporated some things that they were trying to do as well. But, I mean, there is a strong distinction between Silver Age DC and Silver Age Marvel comics, you know, and the fact that they kind of treated them more as real people, that they had concerns like Dave day-to-day people, you know, especially a character that exemplifies that as, like, Spider-Man, who has, like, real-life concerns, and he's worried about paying the rent and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying, you know, Gundam is about, you know, Amuro's worried about paying his rent money, but the idea is that th- this was one of the first series that really took the genre seriously. I mean, um, it was... Amuro can't even remember his pants. <laughs> <laughs> You forget to eat lunch, Derek. Come on. <laughs> so, so yeah. So basically, like you know, I mean, to me, it's like that. That's what it reminds me of. I mean, or or I guess you could point to you know moments in comics like where you know Alan Moore was doing like Swamp Thing and Watchmen and how it really turned the genre on its head. And it's it's the same idea here. I think the the people that were involved with this series, it, it was the first time where you know it basically was set in a wartime period and there were you know deaths and consequences and and real life concerns and everything and and it's just one of those situations where people kind of watched it and went you can do that with anime like you can you can do that with a mecha series yeah i actually did a little bit of research i know me did research just just hold on to your butts one thing (laughs) (laughs) mobile suit gundam actually gets credited with is a lot of the super robot shows before it a lot of the bad guys were either aliens or wacky like super villain kind of characters and zeon it's just humans they're just a like you know it's like earth you know it's like nazis versus america or you know like it's actually just two human sides who disagree on something and they fight there's no you know evil alien empire or anything like that and gundam actually gets a, a lot of um praise for being the first show like about giant robots that did that yeah i mean i i think you could draw a lot of comparisons to to wartime stories whether it's like something like all quiet on the western front or like you were saying you were saying you know world war Two with you know that that kind of scenario or even you know the kind of like american revolution you know it's like the the, the red coats are coming you know like all this kind of stuff you know so there there's lots of interesting uh, parallels and comparisons you can make and and it seems like the series definitely drew from from real life history but it, it's within the context of you know space and and mecca and all these sort of you know i mean fairly scientific elements but also you know it's it's a, it's a bit of science fiction as well and and basically originally i i think this was supposed to be like every other anime it was supposed to be about a 50 or so episode series and i also think it's interesting there there are lots of comparisons drawn to star trek because mobile suit gundam was essentially canceled 
I mean, it, it was supposed to run, you know, 50-odd episodes, and what ended up happening was, I think, you know, wh whatever the sponsors were involved in, maybe the toys weren't selling at the time in 1979, 1980, or whatever, and they, they kind of pulled the plug, and it was going to be a 39-episode series, and it sounds like the creative team said, look, 39, like, we, we don't even have enough episodes to wrap this up properly can we please get a few more episodes and i guess that worked because it ended up being like we said before a 43 episode series in total so they sort of milked you know four more episodes out of out of the sponsors or whatever and what, what's really interesting about it is that even though it was canceled before its time much like star trek it sort of found its audience in reruns you know, like it, it basically after it was canceled and then started playing probably daily instead of weekly or something like that, then that's when it got all the fans and that's when all the people started buying the model kits and going crazy for Gundam and everything like that. And then basically, you know, I, I know we got Justin on the show, so we can we can definitely herald Star Trek the motion picture. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like that. That's the idea. There was this this big stretch of fandom where it, it led up and built up to that movie and everything. And I, I feel like the comparison is, is sound, you know, it's like there was all this sort of discovery and or revival of the show in reruns. And then it created this whole fan community so that by the time the, the compilation movies, these, these movies that had, you know, new animation and new scenes, but sort of used a lot of the footage from the old shows and everything. And they, they put together three movies and everything. And, and for me, I'm kind of like, well, those three movies in, you know, 1981, 82 are, are very much like, what happened with Star Trek with the motion picture. I mean, in my opinion. So, and, and I guess, you know, this is all just kind of background stuff for, for folks who maybe are either listening to this show for the first time, or maybe they don't know a lot about the original series. I mean, there have been so many interpretations and alternate universes and everything that, you know, maybe there are people out there who have never started with the original Universal Century series for, for whatever reason. I mean, it, it can't be because it's in black and white, because that's not the case, but I, I, I do see, <laughs> you know, of course, there are, you know, certain aspects of fandom where it's like, well, that's too old, this animation or whatever. So, I mean, I could see there being some some reason why maybe some people haven't checked it out. And this is just giving you guys kind of some of the, the down low on the history of it and everything. But I'm kind of curious, like, I, I wanted to ask you guys before we get into the nitty gritty of the first episode itself, like... I, I know we've probably talked about maybe how you came across Gundam before and everything like that, but I, I thought it might be interesting to tackle, like, do, do you remember how you first came to this particular series, like the original Gundam? Because I imagine we've all seen this before, unless I'm mistaken, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Do you want to, like, do you want to share, Tony, because you, you were one of the first people to start talking about sort of your background with, with Gundam and everything? Sure, yeah. Like I said, I, I first saw War in the Pocket, I thought it was really good, but over stateside, you know, especially in the mid-90s, it was really hit or miss if you would get to see anything that you're interested in. It was like, anime wasn't released really for the fans. It was released like, here, try this. Maybe this will be popular. And if something like Cowboy Bebop caught on, they would release everything. Eventually, Toonami got a hold of Gundam Wing, which we all know was a really huge hit on Toonami. And then they went Gundam crazy. They released a lot of shows. And eventually, they actually released a lot of shows out of order. Like, the actual Bosu Gundam 
was one of their last releases as far as series. They did 08 MS Team, they did G Fighter, and they finally got around to Mobile Suit Gundam. And they were like, you know, they made a big deal out of it. And it was the first time I'd actually ever seen it proper. And I remember tuning in. And honestly, if anybody's like, oh, this is too old, it looks dumb, okay, I mean this in the nicest way. Fuck you. It's a really fun show that like I got into. <laughs> See, if you if you mean it nicely, you just have to say it like British Bright. You just be like, fuck you. Fuck you. And even the first episode, it really kind of pulled me in, especially for the 70s. One thing I want to comment on, because I don't know if I'll get a chance to, and I don't want to do it every episode, but I guess on the first episode, it makes sense, is the first episode I saw... I'm a big fan of robots. I, I have this techie side. I know you guys know this. I like vehicles. I like robots and stuff like that. That's I sometimes prefer them over the characters. And when I saw like that this was made in the late 70s, I was like, this is this is the prototype of all the kind of robot designs I liked. Because after Gundam came out for like the 80s and most of the 90s, this is what robots look like. You know, they look humanoid, kind of bulky and blocky. And I was like, this is this is my jam, you know. I really liked this. I really enjoyed it. Unfortunately, Toonami, this was it got released in the early 2000s, and there was a big hubbub stink over the whole 9/11 thing, and they they started acting shows that had a lot of violence in them. Mobile Suit Gundam was one of them, and the ratings were not great. And I remember the last thing I saw as far as new episodes, which was fitting because it was the final episode. They actually showed it on New Year's Evil, so I actually got to wrap up Gundam. I watched all the episodes. And I kind of felt bad that it didn't get good enough ratings, but they reran it enough. They didn't just totally take it off the air. But I, I think Mobile Suit Gundam is one of those shows that's really hard to promote. Because, like I said, a lot of young kids are just like, you know, they go by the dated stuff and they don't actually watch the episodes. They don't give the show a chance. And it's like Star Trek, the original series. If you just give it a chance, it's a really good show. So just being, I guess, you know a neo-hipster and watching the first time it showed in America, I'm glad I, you know, quote-unquote, saw it first over here, you know. I, I was cool watching the dub, and I, I had a lot of good memories of it. You know, I remember getting home from work at 11 o'clock, and it'd be on, you know, Midnight Run, and be like, hell yeah, fucking gonna watch some Mobile Suit Gundam tonight, you know. And I love their opening, you know, the whole, like, dun 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 you know, like, Amuro, what's going on? You know, like, I'm a char, you know, like, <laughs> Mobile Suit Gundam. They actually made a big deal out of it. <laughs> tsunami intro and everything i it, so is it fair to say like this as far as this series goes you, i mean you discovered it in 2001 when they started airing it on tsunami yeah i was aware it existed but i just didn't have any access to it so when they started airing it i was i was really hyped because i was like i finally get to watch it and hopefully they will do the whole series which they did thank god Cool. All right. Well, well, I'm just going to move down backward on my, my Skype list here and, and ask Mike, like, uh, you know, how did you sort of first come to the original series? 
Well, back, like, in the late 90s when I was, like, first getting into anime, like, my friends would, like, buy or rent, like, anime from whatever, like, local places we had, and, you know, we'd watch whatever we could get our hands on, and one of those things were those original, like, yeah, British Bright Rocket Laser movie, like, dubbed versions of the originals. And honestly, like, I, I remember watching, like, the first and maybe the second one, but I I didn't, like, retain anything from it. Like, I kind of watched it and I was like, eh, I don't know about this stuff. Like, I'd, I I think I was more like, I like more stuff like Dragon Ball or, you know, stuff like that. So I probably, like, zoned out of it. But, they, uh, yeah, when, when Gundam Wing came on Toonami and I watched that, and I was like, hey, Gundam's pretty cool. So then, like, you know, I went back and, uh, like, I, when, when, well, I didn't go back, I guess, but, uh, when, when it, they were going to show the original, I got excited for it. And, like, you know, I started watching it and I, I really liked it. And I don't remember, like, I know it got, like, taken down around the time, like Tony said, when 9 11 happened and they took, like, they, they canceled it with literally, like, yeah, like three or four episodes left to air, I think. And, like, I already knew somehow how the, how the series ended, but like I like I didn't actually see those episodes. I guess maybe I looked it up on the internet or whatever. So like it was a while before I went back and like watched actually watched the end of that series. But you know, yeah, I eventually did. You know, I watched the dub. I watched. I, I went and bought like the movie trilogy when they released the movie trilogy. I think like as a box set on DVD, like all three movies, like with the. But, but I don't think it had like the old dub. It just had like no. the Japanese track. Yeah, it was it was yeah. Japanese language only when and, they like, released that one. That was like I think those movies like when I first watched them in Japanese like all the way through that's when I started to really like appreciate like the series like because I remember watching it like on Toonami and like I liked it but it wasn't like I kind of attribute that like Tony was saying like you know Gundam eventually died and I kind of attribute that to their decision to air like the original like so soon after like Wing and stuff like and I feel like it, it, and they did show like some newer stuff like 08th team and 0083, but I don't know. Like, I feel like they should have like led with something that was a little more similar to wing like X or G and then like showed the original, like at the, like in the same block or something. So like they'd come for something that looked like wing and then they'd stay for like the original or whatever. Cause mm. you know, X and G had like a same like era animation basically. Yeah. That, that's something that's worth talking about for a few minutes. Cause I, I think the original intent was like, it, it just sounded like they're like, well, where else are we going to start? You know, we got to start at the beginning, you know? And, but then there, I, I know there was pushback on, well, are we going to be able to sell this old stuff? Whether it's, the animation or as toys or whatever, you know, and, and I think some of those, you know, like, like Tony was saying, I mean, there's a combination of factors. I mean, my recollection of it is a little different than what I just looked at on the internet, on the Gundam wiki. But my recollection of it is that they aired a certain number of episodes, you know, nine 11 happens in September and then it goes off the air for a while. And the next time I remember watching it was, as Tony said, they had that New Year's Evil thing and they actually showed you the last episode because apparently, I, I don't know, New Year's Evil was like some sort of 
promotional thing where it's like, we're going to show you an episode of Superman with Darkseid and an episode of, you know, whatever with this villain and that villain. And I think the idea was, oh, well, this is the final fight between Amuro and Char, you know, and he's the New Year's quote unquote evil. And I remember being at my friend's house in like, it was in LA. I'm just trying to think like in, 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 you know, and, and, and just kind of, you know, it was like the middle of the night and everything. And I went, whoa, like, okay, this is it. And I sort of was like, basically they skipped a good number of episodes to get you to the last episode. And then that's the last I honestly remember seeing it on the air. But according to the wiki, they eventually did show some episodes in 2002. But I imagine by then I had probably bought all the DVDs and didn't give her rat's ass. Like that's, that's what I'm guessing. I, I think what they did was they did kind of like what they did with Cybertron. Sorry, Justin, I'm bringing up Transformers. They, they aired Cybertron and Cybertron wasn't doing really well in the ratings. Oh, and they just put it on at like three in the morning. And then they just put it in a bad time slot. Yeah. And showed the rest of the episodes. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I remember them doing something similar with like Yu Yu Hakusho. Because it was like I, I was getting into it, and then all of a sudden it was on at like six in the morning, and I was like, "Fuck this! I'm buying DVDs instead. This is crazy." You know, like it was sort of before. Yeah. It was like a little bit before TiVo or whatever, you know. So I was just like, "Are you kidding me? I'm not waking up to watch this." And and so I guess you know I, I you know I I think those things are, are interesting to note. I mean I I do feel like I I am sort of secret brothers with Mike to a degree. I'll just bring that up since he brought it up is. I do remember seeing the original movies and some of them even subtitled, you know, because, you know, usually like in the olden days, you know, Justin, when the Guardians of the Galaxy were a big puffy (laughs) dude with muscles and and Vance Astro in the in the olden days, they had these they weren't quite like Disney cases, but like they were they, they were not just a cardboard you know, VHS case, it was like, it was actually kind of had some heft to it, whereas this, you know, plastic snapper case and everything, and I remember those, and like, what it would be is like, you'd have the VHS tape of the first movie, but then like, one of them would be the dubbed version, where they had like, rocket blasts, and everybody was like, Commander Shah, you know, or whatever, you know, look at that Gundam! (laughs) You know, and shit like that. And and there was the dub version, but there was also the subtitled version. And and what I remember the most is, you know, anime for me, I think, like, especially when I was in high school and and even throughout most of college was always like that weird thing. It was like that blue cupcakey thing with Akira, because it's like it seemed like whatever I got exposed to was always just weird shit and I wasn't a hundred percent sold on it. So I, I kind of maybe erroneously always thought of it as like, it's kind of how I treated vertigo comics, you know, like where it's like, I was into Marvel superheroes. I was into DC superheroes, but you know, somebody, if somebody tried to put a copy of Sandman in Derek's hands, like circa, you know, 1989, I would have been like, Ooh, what's this vertigo crap? Get this out of my face. <laughs> you know, like, like that's kind of, and, and, and that is no reflection on the actual title or anything like that. I'm just trying to explain, you know, kind of where I was coming from at the time. You know, you could say you're young and stupid or when we were young, we didn't get like, you know, sequential stories that like kind of make sense, like Dragon Ball stuff like that. It was like, what you watch in anime? I guess I'm either going to watch Robot Carnival, Project Deco or Demon City. I don't know which one. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I, I think what what had happened was by the time I, I graduated 
college and and it was you know late 1999-2000 that's when you know Dragon Ball Z started being played on Cartoon Network ad nauseum and you you sort of started noticing that show and went hey what is this and everybody's into it and maybe I should check this out and then you know through that kind of push you know like seeing a lot of the shows on TV at the time that led me to check out, and I'm sure I've talked about this before, uh, this video rental store that we always used to go to in the marina, and it was called Odyssey Video. And they had a marvelous selection of all these old VHS tapes. I mean, that's where I watched Roni Kenshin for the first time. It's where we watched, you know, Trigun and all these shows, you know, before they were quote-unquote popularized on Cartoon Network, you know, things like that. It was, you know, before really... They, they were widely distributed on DVDs. And of course, like I was saying, you know, yes, you know, Gundam Wing had been on the air and, you know, that sort of reintroduced me. I, I probably would say the first thing I ever saw was Stardust Memory and that was only in raw Japanese and I didn't give it much thought, but my friend showed it to me and that was, you know, that was about the end of it. And then, you know, Gundam Wing would come on that sort of popularized Gundam for me. And then it was kind of like, oh, well, look at all these VHS tapes of other Gundam series. And this was even before they started putting them on Cartoon Network. And, you know, I watched War in the Pocket, which I thought was great. You know, I, I went, oh, yeah, the Stardust Memory thing. I remember when my friend showed me that. And this time I actually got to sort of watch it on VHS in either English or subtitled and went, oh, well, now I understand the story. Like, I get why he likes that, you know? And and one of those things were those three original movies. And I, I guess what I was trying to say is for Mike, I, I do kind of Secret Brothers him because I remember watching those and going, wow, these are really fucking long, man. You know, like like it was one of those things where I just wasn't quite I wasn't quite on board with it at the time, you know, and, and then it wasn't until I got to watch something dubbed and not the, you know, Gundam, sir, you know, like I got to watch the, the 2001 dub that it really like sort of hit home with me. And, and, and the, you know, I guess I don't know if I bought into the hype of the people that were like, we really need to start with the original series. So you understand this from the beginning, but you know me, I, I mean, I've always been a proponent of doing stuff like that. So I, I could appreciate what they were shooting for, you know, that, that they were going to try to, yeah you know, start off, you know, if we're going to do the universal century and popularize it in America and bring it over here, like you, you, you can't, you know, it's not like they could be like, all right, we're starting with double Zeta Gundam, you know? And it's just like, what, what's going on? <laughs> I don't get it. You know? So, I mean, there, there, there's that aspect to it, you know? And, and I think, you know, for me, I think having a dubbed version always helped me to enjoy and appreciate it more. And, and, and like you all were saying, you know, I, I did eventually see the tsunami version and, get into it and everything but i i don't mean to leave justin out of the equation so i do want to ask him like is your experience any different from the rest of ours in terms of coming to the original series or do you do you have any stories or insights to share in regards to that topic i found it on cartoon network like i guess like a lot of people when Gundam Wing hit, like, I was really into it, like, me and my, one of my close friends, like, we were crazy about it, like, I remember, like, one day he called me, he, he was excited, he was like, the Gundams are back in stock on ToysRUs.com, what do you want? Like, <laughs> desperately asking me before they sell out, like, that's how much we were into Gundam. I remember he didn't really care for Gundam, like, he was one of those who were like, oh, it's old and looks crappy, but, like, you know... I like old stuff, and I, I especially like old animation, where it's it, whether it's like you know, 
Oh, Looney Tunes or like Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. I like that kind of stuff. So I was excited to like see, you know, to see like where Gundam began and just to see you know, something like that. Because I like 70s animation anyway. You know, I grew up watching like Gatchaman or G-Force or Battle of the Planets or whatever you want to call it. So I remember watching it, but I remember, you know, it it came on like, I guess like I was just out of high school. It was summer. And I wasn't really watching it a lot. And then, you know, I started going to college and hanging out with my friends and, you know, dating a couple of different girls. So, like, you know, from I went from, like, oh, man, Gundam, like, I'm going to order them all and build them. And then it slowly kind of went to, like, uh, I'm going to do, like, you know, more grown-up things now, I guess. <laughs> but, like, I didn't really have a whole lot of exposure to, like, anime, I don't know, like, up to maybe high school, like, Unlike Derek, like, I didn't have access to, like, an awesome video store with a lot of anime. Like, I mean, I grew up in a small area in the South, and, like, we, we probably had at one point over a dozen movie rental places. But none of them really had anime aside from, like, you know, Akira and Ghost in the Shell. Like, they would have the stuff you would see on maybe Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah. And, and that would be it. So I, I was all this stuff on Toonami, like, you know, Dragon Ball Z, Gundam... Kenshi Muyo, like Yu Yu Hakusho, like all this stuff was like so new and exciting and fascinating to me. It was like, I was like blown away. Yeah, I think I think part of that is you know I, I I would probably attribute to being in say the San Francisco Bay Area or being in you know Los Angeles or whatever. And so I mean you know but even then I mean I I remember you know it's like locally here you know like it, you know I wasn't you know straight smack dab in the center of San Francisco or anything. So again, you know, most video stores you'd go to, like you're saying, they'd have either, you know, whatever was considered the, the cream of the crop or, you know, something, an anime movie that was reviewed by Roger Ebert might get one VHS copy ordered. Yeah. Critically acclaimed, you know, to, to rent, you know, and, and of course most of that stuff, like I was saying to you, to me, was always the weird shit. It was the Ghost in the Shell and the Akira and, and that kind of stuff, the stuff that, you know, was supposed to be, like, mind-blowingly weird, and, and that's why, you know, Roger Ebert liked to write a review on it and stuff like that. It wasn't just kind of your typical average, like, you know, oh, hey, here's a show about a thief and a hot chick and a, you know, samurai and a, you know, and a thief or whatever, you know, and, or, and that kind of thing. Or as Crow T. Robot said, one of those super violent porno cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 or one of those, you know. I guess, I guess that the other thing that was always bandied about to me was was Ninja Scroll, you know. And it's like again, like that's probably a super violent porno cartoon. I mean, as far as most normal people are concerned, you know. So you you either had you know something that was reviewed by Roger Ebert or something that was you know sort of Quentin Tarantino esque anime where you know it's like oh blood and guts everywhere, you know. And and so that's why I think my original sort of perception of anime was just based on those brief snippets of it you know and and i think you know basically you know the fact that i was a little more open-minded to it because like you're saying there are certain shows on cartoon network that were starting to air and then having that access to like a great 
VHS anime library at a at a rental store, you know, and that you can attribute to, you know, somebody having, you know, a cool selection. I mean, that that store was the kind of store that had all these like great titles to choose from, whether it was, you know, foreign language and, you know, and of course, you know, not to get into it, but, you know, they had this huge selection of of uh, ridiculous porn that was like shrouded in secrecy like in the back with a little curtain and all this other stuff you know so it's like <laughs> that that store was just you know i mean i i imagine it doesn't exist anymore you know like i i haven't i i think the last time i drove past there in 2008 i was like oh it's gone but it's like i have a lot of fond memories of of renting all those kind of shows there and going, Oh wow, this is great. Like I never knew this stuff existed. And I guess it hit me all at the right time, you know, that I could appreciate it more than I would say when I was, you know, 12 or 13. And I would have been like, what is this weird crap? You know, like that kind of thing. I, I, will, I will say Derek, my nineties fanboy is, is going to temper his anger that you said Ninja Scroll is a possibly pornographic, like slash him, beat him up. That's just my nineties fanboy. Just letting you know. And That's also, as an addendum, my video my video store had critters one through four. So come on now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's totally fair. I mean, in in my defense, I did say quote unquote normal people would would think that. So it, sure. it wasn't, I wasn't yeah. I wasn't a hundred percent speaking for myself. You know, I was only like you know twenty five fifty percent speaking for myself. So. So, but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm appreciative that you guys, you know, shared all your sort of introductory stories as far as the original Mobile Suit Gundam goes. I, I think what we'll do is we'll take a brief break here, and then when we come back, we're going to be talking about the nitty gritty, the first episode of Mobile Suit Gundam. So stay tuned, guys. It's time for some thrilling heroics. A brand new podcast on TwoTrueFreaks.com. Keep flying. A Firefly podcast. We aim to do the impossible. Cover every episode of Joss Whedon's science fiction space opera western. And that makes us mighty. We found as fine a crew as ever populated the podcasting verse. I told them I had a job. They said yes. Didn't much care what it was. So join me, Andrew Leyland. I fought for the independence. May have been the losing side. Not so sure it was the wrong one. I'm joined by a man too pretty to die, Mr. Paul Spataro. And last, but by no means least, a man with a mighty fine hat, Shepherd Bill Robinson. So join us on TutuFreaks.com for Keep Flying, a Firefly podcast. We aim to misbehave. Hey guys, so we're back now, and we are here to discuss the nitty-gritty, the first episode of the original Mobile Suit Gundam. The first episode is titled Gundam Rising, and as we discussed, we'll just go over both air dates to give you some perspective on how this played out. But in Japan, the original air date of Gundam Rising was April 7th, 1979. The United States air date on Cartoon Network on the whole Toonami block was July 21st, 2001. So, basically, most of these open. I know it's an antiquated relic of the past, apparently, but most of these episodes actually have an opening, you know, an opening, you know, introduction, you know, to the, the show, and we've got the opening song, and in the Japanese version, it is titled Fly Gundam. 
and you know that's the whole you know gandamu you know show you know song or whatever um so, you know, I, I've actually seen some funny little clips where I, I can't remember what kind of commercial or what they were trying to sell or something, but I, I remember seeing this thing where all these, like, Japanese like usually guys of all kinds of, you know, salary men and, you know, I don't know, like, you know, kind of physical, you know, uh, trainers or, you know, whatever it is, but they're all like humming the, the Gundam theme to themselves or whatever. But I forget what they were trying to like sell on the commercial, but I thought it was cute. It's more like a super robot theme than you would expect for Gundam usually, but that's okay. I mean, it was like the first series, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that was, I mean, basically like th this, this is the series that transformed that. So, I mean, it probably still has staples of, you know, what, what were part of the super robot genre. I mean, some people even bring up that, that notion with the discrepancy between the intro that is played, you know, you talked about this, and I thought it's worth talking about. You know, the Japanese opening, you know, it features the lead character, it features the supporting cast, it's got the ships and the fighters and the mobile suits, basically everything that the sponsor would want to sell. You know, and it's definitely centric on, you know, the protagonists, the hero, the good guy, and everything like that. And, and what's kind of interesting is, you know, one, that Japanese song was never going to be used on american tv oh yeah no no as far as the dvds like in the dvds it was interesting because they had the the single dvds back in the day where it was like you know four or five episodes on a dvd and by the time you got said and done there were like you know i don't know like 10 of them for the original mobile suit gundam series and if i'm remembering right because every time i upgrade i don't actually like keep the original stuff i usually like either give it to somebody or trade it in or something like that but if i'm remembering correctly the original singles had fly gundam on some of the opening episodes but like midway through it was like when you're buying like dawson's creek on dvd and all of a sudden since they can't <laughs> afford the paula cole song by like season five it turns into like a whole different song and you're like what the hell's going on you know where's where's i don't want to wait because it's gone you know and it's like it was the same thing with this it's like it 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 started with, you know, Fly Gundam, and then somewhere midway through turned into the Toonami intro. And the Toonami intro, you know, had background music from the show, but it was very much like a, you know, a typical Toonami thing. It was like a DJ mix. Very modern. It didn't feature all the protagonists. It actually was, you know, it, it had these prominent, like, company and creator credit titles, you know, all these folks we were talking about in the first half of the show all the creators and everything tomino yeah, a, lot of, a lot of sound bites stuff yeah yeah and, and and it was not necessarily like synced up with the same audio you know you'd have background music from different parts in the shows kind of like you know dj'd in where they were kind of like doing their mix or what with the the sounds and the audios and all that other stuff and you know it, it wasn't good guy centric you know the 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 first scene you yeah, see yeah 
is of the antagonists. It's of the Zeon, the opposing army, and they're all chanting, Hail Zeon. And then you get a title card with, you know, some creator credits and everything. And, you know, eventually, yeah, you do still see the Gundam and the lead protagonists and everything. And there's shots of Amuro and Sela. And then, interestingly, you know, the Toonami intro actually has Char in it, where you think, wow, this is such a popular character. You know, it's such a fan favorite character. You know, he's not even in the intro in the original Japanese series. You know, that that's that wasn't ever the intention that he become so popular, I don't think. But he he is, you know. So, of course, in the in the, you know, Toonami opening, he is, you know, sort of featured and everything. I, I do think it's interesting, like, I, I don't know if how in detail you guys have looked at the the Toonami version or whatever, but like some of the dialogue that's spliced in at one point, there's the shot where of course me and Tony are secret brothers this week. We both have the same avatar, which is of this famous sequence where the Gundam slices a Zaku in two and, you know, immediately lands on the ground and everything. And like, I think there's a clip of that in the Toonami intro and there's a line of dialogue spliced in, you know, DJed in to the sound where it's like, it's a Gundam. And I was like, I think yeah. I'm pretty sure that was like lifted from Gundam Wing because it kind of to me, it kind of sound. I mean, I'm doing the septum voice, but like it kind of sounded like Brian Drummond to me. It kind of sounded like Zex Marquis. And like, I mean, I could totally yeah. be wrong, but like I, I was thinking like what you guys were saying before that, you know, it basically from Cartoon Network's perspective in most of the United States, the first Gundam they were introduced to was Gundam Wing. And, you know, even though, you know, even though that's not the original series, you know, maybe they were trying to create that link with the introduction too. It's like the PR guys kind of wanted them to think, Hey guys, this is, this is the same thing as that other thing (laughs) you watched that you really liked. Like, see it's a Gundam it's a Gundam see get it it's a Gundam you know like and and that's that's kind of you know what what I was thinking but I I don't know have you guys seen that Toonami intro recently at all or anything no like I I clearly remember the Toonami Gundam Wing DJ mix as you're saying like it's it's like ingrained in my brain like especially when Zek says fools (laughs) Because right. me and my brother, we would like randomly, <laughs> we we would randomly say that, and sometimes when we would argue, like if we didn't want to listen to the other one, we would just be like, fools. But like I, I have no memory at all of the original Gundam Toonami DJ mix. Okay, well we we should after we do this, I'll I'll send you a link of it or whatever. Justin, whenever I had like seafood, I'd always pick up a lobster and break it in two over <laughs> my head and say fools. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is very today. Just going back to the the Fly Gundam intro, just as far as history goes, like that it was on some of the single DVDs, and it, just for some history bits, the the single DVDs were dub only, 
so they never had the original Japanese language. Eventually, there were the Bandai Anime Legends sets, which basically were two sets instead of, like, ten singles. And, you know, it was, like, basically the first 20 or so episodes and then the latter 20 or so episodes. And those DVD sets do not have the Toonami intro at all. They only use Fly Gundam, but they have both the English dub as well as the original Japanese language with English subtitles. And then the, the other thing that's interesting to note is even though now I'm using the anime Blu-ray set, it pretty much is the same thing. These have the Fly Gundam, they don't feature the Toonami intro, and they also, all of them, still don't have the infamous Lost episode which is the... We'll, we'll cover it one of these days, but but they do not have that episode. Yeah, it is, it's interesting to note that, like, Justin's already been picking on me, because, like, Derek's avatar, even though it's the same picture, it, it's obviously from a newer rip or, you know, a newer picture, so the Gundam's all clean and HD-looking, and mine looks like a VHS copy from 1985. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> even my pictures are old. <laughs> Mine is the HD, and, and Tony's is the SD, the standard definition. Tony's is like the one you get from the guy at the convention for like $10, you know, shadily. It's like Amaro's <laughs> calling everybody an asswipe and stuff. <laughs> Char, you, you, you Zaku asswipes? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I you know, that that is just, you know, I guess maybe I would pose the same question to that I posted Justin to I mean obviously I think we know the answer with Tony but M Mike you're familiar with both openings then Yeah yeah, yeah. I, I remember the the Toonami opening yeah like I remember like thinking it was pretty cool like it definitely like was a lot more menacing like you said it definitely focused more on the bad guys like and stuff Yeah yeah I I agree So basically now we actually get into the episode itself and there's this omniscient narrator who sets up the status quo for everybody. It, you know, basically introduces the idea that the year is 0079, and that's within the Universal Century timeline. And I remember that was something that, that I spent a lot of time sort of researching or getting into and everything. Like, that was something where... I, th I think that was part of the fun for me with Gundam when I really got into it. It's like, I, I really remember just lapping up all those, you know, Bandai America, like the Annie America, you know, guidebooks and everything that would tell you, like, what year each series was set in, and the idea that basically the calendar was completely different in this universe, even though at some point they did have our calendar, you know, and it just, at some point along the way it changed, and it's 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 a little vague, but I guess you could kind of figure it out as you go along, like, at, at some point, you know, 200, 300 years from now, you know, it's like we're in the Universal Century timeline or something. I'm sure, you know, somebody 300 years from now is going to be posting on their face space, you know, hologram or whatever, and going like, ha-ha, just like Rathacon or whatever when it gets to that year, and they'll be like, you know, hey, it's time to convert over to UC or whatever. But, you know, anyway, I, I always kind of got a kick out of that, that, uh, you know, that they, they had their own, basically, calendar and, and time chronology and everything like that. And so they set up the year, so 0079, uh, you know, in, in no small influences the fact that this actually takes place. The series itself is airing in 1979, so that's also kind of sort of meta and interesting of its own accord. And 
Space colonies have been the norm for about the last 50 years, and they talk about them as being like the new homes of humanity, and they, they really, it, it's interesting, like, I think in the movie dub, they sort of talk over this where it's not emphasized and it's not very important, but I think in the TV dub, it is, it, it is super emphasized, it's like where people are born and raised and die. You know, and it's like it's like really <laughs> yeah. emphasizing that whole difference between, you know, a super robot genre where everybody lives and everybody's happy. And, you know, Doctor Who's off to the side with Brave Radine going, nobody dies today, you know, and everybody's everybody's super happy and everything like that. Whereas in the real robot genre, it's just like people born, they live and they fucking get killed, you know, like little bitches, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. So just to get people used to the par- parlance. Um, even though they are called space colonies in the show sometimes, I'm sure one or two of us will slip into it and call them sides. They're also called sides, and their number of the colony, like, oh, this is side three or side seven. So if we use that, side is also a name for a space colony unit. So just let you guys know. Yeah, no, that that's that's accurate, except for the fact that, like, I guess sides technically are groupings, I guess. It's like, it's kind of like the yeah, difference yeah. between a country and a state. So a side is kind of like a country, and, and there can be little colonies within a side. So it's like just, when they drop a colony yeah. at somebody, it's not necessarily the entire side. I, I was just going to say a funny thing about that is I, I saw that term like in print before I ever heard it like said, and I was like, sides? And, and then I was like, Oh no! Wait, it must be pronounced like cities, like like you know, it's like clever and stuff. And I thought I was like all clever and stuff. I'm like they're space cities, so it's like, but they're spelled like that. But then I was like, oh, it is pronounced sides. Okay, I guess I'm not as clever as I thought. You were overthinking it. (laughs) So about nine months before the actual story that we're watching starts, there are colonies, and the colony that were known as side three declared itself the principality of Zeon and they declare their independence from the earth federation. So again, you know, there, there is some, some call back to, you know, real life history with declarations of independence and things like that. And basically this, you know, this erupts into a full blown war between Zeon and the earth federation. And they detail in the first month of the war, both sides lost about half of their populations. So this is obviously a very destructive war. People are dying left and right. Like they're they're really hitting home that this is not your this is not your father's, you know, super robot. This is this is like real robot genre. Like this is all serious and there's consequences and tons of people are getting killed and all this kind of stuff. I think one of the things that hits home really early on is just seeing a giant space colony crash into Earth and, like, obliterate a city. Yeah, well, that, that, that's <laughs> like... kind of what that leads into. Like, it, it's interesting because the, the omniscient narrator kind of basically says, oh, you know, the, the next eight months, the following two sides became embroiled in a stalemate. You know, and I'm just kind of like, well, wait a minute. Like, what kind of stalemate is it? The Xeon drop a whole fucking colony on what we basically later learn is Sydney, Australia. So, sorry, AFB podcast. Sorry. Most of those guys, <laughs> most of those guys are from Australia. So, I was like, I'm sorry if you guys are listening to this. Looks like they really are. Yeah. Under. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, oh. 
But yeah, so the the space colony totally drops on on Earth, you know, because basically, obviously, the Earth Federation's primary base of operations is Earth, and and you know, and then and then basically, then we you know we cut to the title card, which it was always interesting. Like I, I remember getting a kick out of it because it it's that weird thing of like normally I guess you know they they play a title card, and if you're watching in Japanese, you hear some some Japanese guy speaking and then you read the subtitle that tells you the title and it's I, I don't know how to explain it like reading the subtitle feels more like how it's intended to be observed but what normally happens on a lot of these dubs especially if they're sort of the more purist dubs that were coming out uh, you know in the early 2000s I mean I, I have a feeling like if this came out in 1985 like or, or even you know the, the dub we're mocking like the movie dub like and there was a title card like that, it would have been sort of redesigned. Like somebody else would have scribbled in English, you know, Gundam Rising or something like that. But in this, it's you still see the Japanese kanji, but then it's like a dude just going Gundam Rising, you know. And I always, I mean, they did that with Gundam Wing too, but I always thought that was kind of interesting, you know. Like it's not quite how it's intended to be, sort of. I guess input into your into your brain or whatever. I don't know if that makes any sense, but <laughs> yeah. They basically have this pan of space, and we get our first introduction to the mono-eyed, Cylon-looking mobile suits, which are the primary antagonists of the piece. These mobile suits belong to the aforementioned Xeon, and this mobile suit is, strictly speaking, technically speaking, because I'm not very good at this, so I write all this stuff down, it is the MS-06F Zaku-2 mobile suit. So this is the Zaku. I'm just kind of curious, like, when you first see the Zaku, like, you know, what what are your guys' impressions of the Zaku? Like, did you did, did you did you already know about the Zaku before you first saw it here? Is this the first time you've seen the Zaku? I know I, I had seen it before, but like when I first saw it, like when I first watched it on Toonami, like I I kind of thought like. Oh yeah, that's probably what like the Leo from Gundam Wing is like being oh, okay. an homage okay. of basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. What well, what about you, Tony? Like, did you have any first impressions of of the Zaku? Uh I'd been vaguely aware of it, but like a lot of times I've seen it, I didn't know that it was from Gundam. It's one of those things. But I remember when I first saw it, like Mike said the Leo and stuff, they're like considered cannon fodder, you know, they're like the 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 soldier mecha. And even then, though, like, Leos look pretty nondescript. They're, like, you know, they have, like, a yellow eye, and it's in a box, and it doesn't look that, you know, threatening. The Zaku looks mean. It's got that mono eye. It's got, like, these spikes on his shoulder. It's got that big-ass cannon with, like, this big round disc on top that, you know, feeds the uh, ammo into it. And it's got even, like, a riot shield on its arm. It just looks mean, even though it's, like, not even the big bad mecha. It just these three Zaku, they, like, they look mean. They look threatening. And that big red eye, it's like, like you said, very Cylon-y, very kind of creepy. Kind of creepy-looking robot. <laughs> 
I'm I'm gonna ask Justin the same question next. Justin, what's your what was your first impression of the Zaku mobile suit? Kind of like Mike, I knew somehow it was like the cannon father of the you know the Xeon or the bad guys or whatever. Like I thought it was a cool looking suit, but what I didn't get and I I still don't really understand is why it has that weird kind of like. A snorkel thing. Oh, like, the the breathing apparatus yeah. looking thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, why does it have that? Like, you know. I'm you know, I'm sure I'm sure there's some very much more knowledgeable guy with like the technical manual that's like yelling at his Zonophone right now, you know, telling us what it does. But yeah, I I, I think I had the same thought because it's like we'll, we'll get into it later. But one of those apparatuses does get ripped off, and you're just kind of like, does that? Is the suit not spaceworthy after that, like, or or is it just aesthetically, you know, like, because it looks well, it's, it's It, it kind of it reminds me of that like panel of that Justice League issue where what do you call the flights the Flash and Black Canary, and he's like, you fight in high heels, that's not very practical, and she just like grabs the two lightning bolts on the side of his masks and, and like twists his <laughs> mask all the way around. <laughs> That's funny. I, I always, I always, I always figured that like since there is a lot of people who make Nazi connotations to the Zeon, I always figured like one thing the Nazis were really known for was wearing gas masks in certain mm, offensive. Okay. And yeah. gas masks are kind of terrifying. So I was thinking maybe it was just a visual like, ah, I was wearing a gas mask. It's a robot wearing a gas mask. Fucking run. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a callback to that that idea. That's that's interesting. Like I, I was just gonna yuck it up about the idea that I, I keep going back to the movie dub, but I figure it's appropriate here because I, I remember Amro busting out of the the shelter and and going oh my god there's a bunch of robotan invaders and i just kind of like laughed about it because kind of like they, they they always like dub like weird things and he even calls them zakus later on so you question like well who the fuck like wrote that into the script then like you know it's like why <laughs> why you know because that movie dub takes like a lot more liberties with the original script because it's like you know like i've been yucking it up but it's like when the gundam finally shows up it's like wow that gundam is really impressive you know and it's like i need to use my laser swords you know and stuff like that they're so shooting just... rocket lasers out of their <laughs> machine guns yeah and you're just kind of like um that's a beam rifle dude that's a beam saber like stop <laughs> screwing it up you know like that kind of thing or like I, I i remember thinking like like movie dub amuro is kind of like a cocky little shit in that like whereas like i mean like it's not like amuro is the most well-adjusted character and that's part of why this falls into the real robot genre you know he's not perfect he's not the the shining example of a hero you know he's not the dc guy that's like i have no problems i am good because i like to be good and now i will save you it's like oh he's got you know he's got personal hang-ups and all this other stuff which is fine but i think in the movie dub like there there's this one it's it's interesting like maybe we'll well i i just want to bring it up now while i'm thinking of it there's this line of dialogue i think in in the regular in the japanese and the you know more strictly dubbed you know cartoon network version you know he's driving along in the car and it's just like oh well is your dad gonna be at the base and he's like i don't know you know like and you can tell like he doesn't get along with his dad too well and he's like but we'll see when we get there and like in the the movie dub it's like he the answer to frabo's question is like is your dad gonna be there and he's like i hope so i need some new shopping money or you know like it, basically it's like i need my allowance <laughs> you know and it's just like what a, what a old man <laughs> old man's got my money <laughs> you know and i was just kind of like why, why are you such a douche 
Do you think your dad might be on that warship that's coming in from Earth today? I sure hope so. He's been Earthside for a whole week now, and I'm running out of money. You know, but you're a douche, dub movie Amaro or whatever. But anyway, but yeah, like like as far as as far as my impressions of of the Zaku and everything, like I mean, I we brought this up already, but even though you know some people might be really critical about the animation style, I still think that the sound design is really cool. Like you you get the idea that these are really you know heavy suits and and that they're you know they're clamping on you know to the 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 space station and everything like that the space colony and and i just i i really like the sense of weight and movement that you get and and it's it's part of the i think can be accredited to not only the animation but also the way the sound is designed with the zakus and the way you know you, you hear that kind of you know when the eye lights up and everything like I, I i just dig all that stuff i think you know for me it reminds me a bit of you know the cylons of course from battlestar galactica you know and that's also you know kind of you know it's not you know a one-to-one comparison but but there are certain aspects where you can tell like okay you know obviously star wars was really popular and led into you know quote-unquote imitators like Battlestar Galactica, but I think all of that push for American science fiction, you know, some of it, I, I think they tried to take some of the best parts of it, you know, and it's like a, a, a cycloptic looking thing with a gas mask, you know, obviously, you know, it's supposed to intimidate, you know, it's supposed to, in some way, you know, unconsciously terrify you, you know, and I think they, that that, that design is, is pretty iconic and, and, you know, it, it does a good job of, of doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah, actually, me and Mike, we actually were talking about that, the sound design, because the uh, pilots don't actually talk for a few minutes. And you just, like, you know, hear the, you know, the, you hear, like, you know, the, you know, it's like, you know, you don't know what's going on if you, especially if you never knew Gundam before. If this is the first time you've ever seen Gundam, you're like, you know, the fuck are these guys doing <laughs> you know so yeah it's kind of cool yeah it is it is and 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 these three mobile suits end up infiltrating the colony and then one of the three guys his name is slender and he's told to to man this shaft that they've breached into the colony and basically stand guard there and then the other two zakus end up descending into the colony atmosphere and and this is something that always sort of blew my mind and everything and and i uh, believe it or not i mean it's very very scientific i mean the the, the design of space colonies are based on and you know hold on to your butt tony because i did some research because this wasn't something i knew about within the bowels of my brain it's something i had to look up on the interwebs i'm actually know what you're going to talk about but i'll let you reveal it <laughs> no 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 you can you could do it if you know what it is go go for it tony i would imagine one of the things you're going to maybe mention is like how the colonies spin and that's how you maintain artificial gravity so when they jump from the outside there's probably a difference in the gravity so they kind of fall slowly and have to use their jets and they don't really land gracefully which is really scientific yeah well i mean what what the sides or i guess the the space colonies within the sides are based on is something called an o'neill cylinder and this was something designed by it's it's designed by the guy it was named after O'Neill. And basically, they they are essentially like you know satellites that would house communities. And so the 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 space colonies in Gundam are based on certain scientific designs for living in space that were designed around the same time. So like it, it's basically like 
you know, for me, I always thought it was strange. Like, I almost didn't believe it. But there's, like, explanations for why everything is the way it is. Like, for me, I always kind of thought, oh, this is like when the Guardians of the Universe, like, moved all these, you know, Earth cities and made a mosaic. Or, or you know, going back to, like, Transformers, it's like when Shockwave had his little island that had a dome come over it. And then it rocketed into space and everything. And you're thinking, like, well, you know, this is crazy. Like, how can you... How can you have a sunny beach in outer space? You know, like like that that kind of stuff always blew my mind as a little kid, and I didn't really understand it. But an O'Neill cylinder, basically, the way it's supposed to work is, uh, as Tony said, you know, one, it preserves like the the artificial environment, like gravity of Earth. Because they both counter-rotate. So it rotates in one direction, and then the cylinder rotates in the other direction. And then that creates the sense of gravity in the weightless atmosphere of space. And then, uh, you know, meanwhile, you've got artificial weather, which, you know, obviously they're pumping in a bunch of oxygen and all this other stuff to support all the life that's on the space station and funneling it and recycling it and all this other stuff. And they've got all these buildings and everything. And then the thing that always blew my mind is, well, how do you get the sun? And the idea is there are mirrors in this cylinder that reflect the light of presumably, I mean, I guess with these colonies, you know, I I don't know if it's going to be soul. I don't know if it's going to be our sun, but you know, some sun in the atmosphere is going to be reflecting onto those mirrors. And then that's what creates the artificial sunlight within the colony. So it's like, I I was just kind of like, you know, that, that always kind of blew my mind as far as, you know, science. It's always, it's always nice when a little bit of thought is put into stuff. It's always makes you like appreciate a little bit more. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I guess Tony kind of answered the the question I was leading into, but I I maybe put it to to Mike and Justin. Like, like what was like your first impressions of like, you know, sides or colonies? Like, you know, is that something that dawned on you as well? Did you just kind of view it as the the typical background environment for the series or was that anything you sort of dwelled on? I knew about the spinning for gravity just from watching a lot of Babylon 5 and then later reading on reading about that and seeing that it was that, you know, it wasn't just, you know, science fiction science. It was actual science. So I was like, okay, that makes sense. But, like, I didn't really think much about the technical aspect of the sides until, like, they had birds flying in there. And I was like, wait a minute. Could a bird really fly in something like a side? And I was like, well, it's a huge place. So I, I guess, I don't know. It just seems weird to me. Like, you would think, like, it's since a direction and everything would be all messed up or something. Like, I don't know. It's 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 a new type bird. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I I didn't really think about it. I just you know it's. I was like it's the future. You know stuff, <laughs> stuff works. Whatever. There there are these big. These cats are giant, in space, man. There are these big giant hot dogs in space, and people live in them. And that's it. <laughs> awesome, awesome. But, but but hey, like even Gundam knew spinning was a good trick. Yep, it's true. <laughs> And see, always, and see, in Star works. Wars, in Star Wars, whenever I see some kind of sciencey thing like that, I think it's the past. That's why it does that. <laughs> yeah. So basically, the the two Zaku's end up landing, and they use trees for cover, and they're basically spying on the city they land in with binoculars, and and they're really surprised that there's pretty much hardly any traffic they only see like one car the city almost appears deserted they know that there's a military base nearby 
and then they spot this one kid in the binoculars. And that kid turns out to be one of our supporting cast. It is Frau Bo. Uh, this is a lady, a girl, who is coming to get our main protagonist, Amuro Ray, out of his house. And then we're also introduced to who I would call the R2-D2 of the series. It's a little green ball. It's a robot named Haro. And he usually hangs out and he'll state the lead character's name over and over and over again. Amaro! Amaro! <laughs> the, the other... Yeah, exactly. Exactly like that. And the other thing I'd like to point out is in the movie dub, he's not R2-D2. He's fucking C-3PO. Good morning, Amaro. You're looking very well today. And you look fine as always, Haro. Do I really? Thank you! Like, it's it's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Because in the, in the regular one, it's just, you know, Haro is Haro. He says fucking Haro. That's what he does, right? And Or, you know, it's like, Amaro, Amaro. You know, and, and that that's basically all he does. But, like, in the in the movie dub, it's like, Greetings, Lord Amaro. Can I get you a pack of cigarettes? Do you want to walk down the street with me? And all this Can stuff. I get you your pants? <laughs> like, how about some pants? <laughs> did, you, did you forget your pants, sir? Yeah, and it's just like, oh, okay. Like, so I always thought that kind of... That kind of always cracked me up. Solomon Grundy won pants, too. <laughs> I'll give credit where credit is due, though. Like, Haro is apparently so beloved by at least at least Sunrise. I don't know about the fandom. that He's like the unofficial mascot of the Sunrise, you know, animation, you know. Yeah. yeah. Team. So, good, good up on you, sir. <laughs> or Sting, or whatever you are. Yeah, Haro, Haro is the man. I, I have it. I still have a little plush Haro that I, I still have, even after what I refer to as the Great Purge, where I got rid of a lot of things that I used to own as far as, like, toys and collectibles and sort of started over. But Haro actually survived the Great Purge. So props to you, Haro. You survived. Hello, Amaro! Hello, Amaro! You're looking very well today, Haro. Thank you, Amaro! So, yes, as, as, as we've been constantly mentioning... Amuro is actually still upstairs in his house, in his underwear, messing about with a microscope and some computer wiring. And I, I, I just kind of get the vibe. I mean, I, I don't know what your guys' impressions are of the initial relationship between Frau Bo and Amuro, but I, I felt like there was this distinct Reed Richards Susorm dynamic to these two when we're introduced to them. You know, because Amuro's like this. I mean, obviously they're they're a little younger, but you know, Amuro is kind of introverted, introspective. He's he's kind of researching his stuff, and he's he's kind of oblivious to all the regular mundanities of life, like eating and putting on fucking pants. You know, it's like I'm you know basically it's like <laughs> I'm in the middle of something here. This is really important. And of course, Frau Bo's like, dude, one, you got to eat. Two. There's this big fucking evacuation going on right now. Didn't you hear all the fucking <laughs> sirens? Like, what the fuck's the matter with you? So, you know. Yeah, and it, like, oh, is that what it were? <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. That's oh, the exact that. quote, too. She was like, what the fuck's wrong with you? You fucking, <laughs> you fucking idiot. Amaro! What the fuck's wrong with you? You fucking, you fucking idiot. All right already. Evacuate at once. We'll wait outside for Evacuate. you. Haro, let's go. What a pain. Well, you know, like the other thing, though, that I'm going to keep harping on is Frau Bo is the biggest fucking nag in this entire fucking series. It's yeah. like a a anytime Amro's name comes out of her mouth, it's like this shrill chalkboard nails on the wall type thing where it's like, Amro, you know, like, come on, you know, and you're just like, Jesus Christ, Frau Bo, like tone it the fuck down, you know? 
Yeah, like it's just like she comes in, she's like, "You haven't even eaten yet. What's going on? We gotta evacuate." He's just like, "All right, all right, calm your tits. All right, look at that some stuff." <laughs> you know, and I mean, obviously, I get it. Like she's 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 doing it out of concern, and and you know, it, it's like she's trying to look out for Amaro, and and she's like confounded that he is you know, he's not even aware of the order to evacuate the city. And she's telling him, look, they told us, you know, the sector needs to be evacuated because there's this docking warship. And, you know, Amaro's so caught up in his work, he ignores the siren, he ignores the warning broadcast by the Federation military officials. So, I mean, he's not, he, he you know, uh, he's kind of in his own little world, essentially. And, and again, yeah. this is not, this is not your you know, typical super robot protagonist. You know, maybe the super robot protagonist would know everything that's going on and be totally on top of things. But but this is this is kind of a divergence, you know, where where it kind of, you know, shows you, oh hey, this is this is a real kid, you know, like and and he's kind of enveloped in his own little world and everything. I guess it's worth mentioning something that I wanted to mention is, you know, obviously I, I we're coming to this, you know, I, I did kind of try to watch all different versions of this before we started the show, but I mean, as far as the the 2001 dub that we're talking about on Cartoon Network with the TV version, Amaro's English VA is a gentleman named Brad Swale. And I mean, basically, he's got I mean, he he is obviously a prolific voice actor. He's been on tons of stuff. Just just some quick things to mention in case maybe, you know, again, this is the first time you're coming to Mobile Suit Gundam. He was Light Yagami in Death Note. He was Setsuna FCA in Gundam Double O. He was Dierka Elsman in Gundam Seed and Gundam Seed Destiny. For all those people that listen to Transformers Tuesdays, he was Kicker in Transformers Energon. For people who love X-Men Evolution and the Ya yeah, Dude Nightcrawler, he was oh. Nightcrawler on X-Men Evolution. And, of course, probably the thing that most Gundam fans know Brad Swale for is Catra Ribera winner on Gundam Wing. So I just thought that'd be worth going down the list and sort of bringing up all those various, you know, kind of the things that he's, you know, most well known for and everything. I, I think he does a great job as Amaro in this series. You know, I just put that out there. But I I, I think I appreciate his work. You know, I, I, you know, I know you just groaned, Mike. I think that was you about, you know, Ya Dude Nightcrawler. But I, I love Ya Dude Nightcrawler. I, much to the chagrin of most of my friends. I love Ya Dude Nightcrawler. Hey, chicks dig the Fozzy Dude, right? I'm like so out of here. Later. Oh, yeah. She can't resist. Even when I hear him as Setsuna, like even when I was playing Dynasty Warriors Gundam 3, like when Setsuna's like being Setsuna, he's like, you know, there is no god after we're dead. Like I, I still hear Catra. I don't hear Setsuna. <laughs> <laughs> Like, calm down, Catcher. It's okay. You're not in the zero. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. And, of course, the, the nag of all nags, the queen of nags, Frau Bo, is voiced by an actress by the name of Christy Marsden. And does anybody know what I'm about to say about something that Christy Marsden has done that we've all seen? I, I wouldn't expect you to, but I just thought I'd throw it out there just in case. 
Christy Marsden was also Whitney Stain, a.k.a. Madam Mask, on Teen Tony, oh. <laughs> a.k.a. the Iron Man oh. Armor Adventures show. So I know I know we've all watched that at some point, and I thought it'd be worth mentioning that, you know, yeah. that Frau Bo is also Madam Mask. So there you go. Tony! How did you get back into the academy? You've been gone so long, I thought they kicked you out for good. Oh, you know, charm, good grades, and a little donation to rebuild the entire science lab didn't hurt. I, I'd like to bring up as far as uh, Kakru or Baba winner, one of my favorite embarrassing moments by a major publication or well-known entity in the geek world, Toy Fair, was doing a write-up on Gundam. And they were they were talking about Gundam Wing, and they were like, and man, that Kakru Baba winner is a hot chick. And then, like, two episodes, two issues later, they're like, okay, apparently that's a guy. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. Whoopsie. But anyway, just thought I'd bring that up, but yeah. Yeah, so so as the episode continues, we're we're noticing that there are cars with loudspeakers, and they're continuing to promote the immediate evacuation of the sector. And Frau Bo is already out the front door, and she notices another neighbor and friend, and this is Hayato Kobayashi, which of course cracks me up because again in the movie dub, it's uh, I think what is she? She says like. Hey, Ato! Hey, Ato! You know, and it's just like, it's Hayato. But anyway, but yeah, it just cracks me up, some of the pronunciation and stuff in that, that L.A. movie dub or whatever. This this makes our guy pronunciation seem like gold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Wait a minute, Hayato! Why so hostile, Hayato? Hayato! But I sort of liked where we used to live. Hayato! Yeah, Bye! So Hayato, uh, Hayato is packing up and leaving with his family, and then of course Frau Bo is nagging him that he didn't grab Amaro, and you know that's that's again what Frau Bo does. She nags people. That's her superpower, I guess, or whatever. And and Hayato basically we get some background on his character. You know he kind of he kind of points the finger at, at Amaro Ray's father, who we're later gonna be seeing. His name is Temray. And basically, he's kind of like, look, man, it's because of these engineers and they all moved to side seven. And now all of a sudden, you know, everything's in upheaval and, and they're bringing the war here. And, you know, that that's why this is going on. So he's like, why should I wake up that fucking guy? Like he started this shit in the first place, like pretty much. I know. Like you almost get like this, like, yeah, I was going to kill him by omission. Whatever. I don't care. <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting is like, like it, it, since since that movie dub takes such license with the dialogue, it's interesting because some of their interpretations, I think, are dead on, even though they twist the original dialogue. Because it's like, you, you, you know, I guess having the power of hindsight, you know, knowing that that Hayato and Frau Bo eventually, I know, spoilers, but Hayato and Frau Bo eventually get together. Like, it's weird. In the movie dub, you do get this idea that, like, you know, it, the conversation is kind of like, 
geez, you know, why didn't you wake him up? Oh, I, I don't know, Frau Bo, you know, it's because his dad's an engineer and stuff. And it's like, are you sure that's the only reason? Well, uh, uh, and the, the, the underlining subtext is kind of like, well, I kind of want to hit that shit, but Amaro's constantly in my damn way, you know, like that kind of thing. And like, and like, I don't think, I don't know if, if you even get that vibe from the Toonami dub, but I think when I, when I see the movie dub, I kind of get the vibe like, dude, Hayato's totally into that shit from the beginning and wants to hit it. But he's like sitting there going like, God damn it, Amaro's, why are you always riding around in Amaro's red car? Does that make Hayato Namor in your Fantastic Four analogy? Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. Hayato is totally Namor. And you know why? Because <laughs> he does not... Wait, does he? He does. He drives the fucking gun tank. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is, it, like, I don't know why I keep... Like, this thing you said a couple weeks back just keeps coming into my head. It's just like, see this guy walking up to Hayato and being like, you know, we got rid of Armuro Ray. Maybe uh, we might be able to rule the world. It's like, is Frau Bo going to be there? Yeah. Can, can I put my dick in her? <laughs> we keep talking about this and nobody's going to know what's a reference to. So I got to I got to explain it. This is a reference to the Fox Fantastic Four movie and it's a reference to Blogger Doom. So that's that's just basically watch that. And and, and when Blogger Doom yeah, says, is Sue going to be there? What, what he's really saying is, is Sue going to be there? And can I? Can I put my dick in her? And then the father's like, yeah. maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Anyway, sorry about that. Uh, we apologize to all zero of our female listeners. I hate to interfere with all of your important work. Guess we'll just have to make history without you. Soon gonna be there. Can I, can I put my dick in her? Yes, Victor, she'll be there. Clean yourself up, son. So basically, like, <laughs> like you know, the you know, so so we've got like you know this kind of tension between you know, and and they're setting up this cast of characters that we're going to be introduced to and everything. So you've got Hayato, and then you've got you know Amaro. Eventually, he rolls out in his you know cherry red future car or whatever, and you know uh, Haro, of course, is in the back seat, and Frau Bo is riding shotgun. And basically, like, now he's finally dressed. You know, he found the fucking pants. You know, he's dressed. He drives out <laughs> in the red car. And, and you know, of course, this this is the part that I was talking about before where, like, you know, in, in the Toonami dub and the original Japanese language version, you, you can tell from the conversation they're having during the drive over to the shelters that, like, Frau Bo is really worried that there's going to be fighting in in their homes and the colonies and everything. And we can also tell that, like, Amuro kind of has this strained relationship with his father. You know, even before we meet his father, you know, Amuro's kind of like, I don't know if there's going to be fighting because his dad, you know, he's like, my dad doesn't tell me anything. You know, I don't know. Yeah, she's like, she's like, isn't your dad coming in on that ship? And he's like, what? I don't know, whatever. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's why I thought the movie dub was interesting, because instead of it being like, isn't your dad coming? And him going, I don't know, dad doesn't tell me anything, and it's a bit of character development. Like, in the movie dub, it's more like, isn't your dad coming? I hope so, I need some fucking money! You know, <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> that's totally like, that. that's one of those things where they, 
I don't know, that interpretation sort of fell flat on his face. You know, like I know sometimes you tweak things and it works, but that was that was an experiment that just didn't work. You know, have you seen my car? It doesn't even have a roof. <laughs> yeah yeah it's like i i i haven't even filled it up with freaking solar power that i pay 395 for uh, a solar <laughs> a solar gallon or whatever so we 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 cut to the the first dialogue about the the titular mobile suit the gundam and basically like we can see like there's instructions being given to place the gundam parts on board this aforementioned warship and the warship is actually called White Base. And, you know, we get the idea from some of the dialogue and everything from all these Federation commanders and soldiers and everything. Like, it's it's this brand new Federation warship. You know, you, you, you kind of think of almost like the, the next generation, you know, the Starship Enterprise. Like, it might be the flagship because it's the newest, it's the most current, it's the best thing. It's going to, you know, basically, the, the, the interesting thing is it seems like the Earth Federation was probably a dominant force you know it was it was the cream of the crop for a time kind of like you know the british empire almost and you know space colonies you know american colonies you know i mean the the parallels aren't that hard to draw and and then you know the idea that at some point you know the zeon came up with this idea of these mobile suits, these mobile armors, and that sort of turned the tide of the war almost in their favor. It'd be like the American revolutionaries just had, like, shotguns, and, like, the British soldiers were like, by the way, we've got machine guns now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think in that analogy, the American people would have the machine guns. You know, like, well, like, yeah, true, true. Yeah. You know, like, but, but that's, I mean, they're the ones declaring independence and everything, Zeon, you know, and, and so they've got the sure, yeah, sure, and everything, you know, so it's like, it's like, and, 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 and the Federation was the sort of status quo, you know, just like the British Empire was sort of like the status quo, and people are tired of being under that yoke, you know, that's why they declared their independence, basically. It's like, why should you, why should you be telling us what to do all the way from fucking Earth? we're off here inside three like we can decide ourselves what what we want to do you know like we're not we're not going to kowtow to you anymore type thing you know so i mean i i can see that historical parallel pretty clearly like i mean it doesn't it, i i don't think that there that's anything they're trying to you know sugarcoat or cover up or anything like oh, that. yeah and and of course some of the officials are, are kind of grumpy you know they're saying like look that white base is going to lead a zeon ship straight to the colony and they're all grumpy about it and you know i i think white base itself is pretty awesome looking i mean it it basically it's sparkling kind of like twilight vampires but in a good way you know like it looks pretty cool and and it's docking at side seven and I, I've mentioned this before on History of Comics on Film, but I, I will sort of repeat myself in the reverse, in that White Base looks a lot like the Battle Shark from Battle Fever J, and the Battle Shark technically predates Mobile Suit Gundam by about a month. And, I, I mean, I also, I, I mean, I've mentioned this before with the, the Zakus and Cylons. I mean, I think White Base is kind of similar to even the Battlestar Galactica. I mean, that whole notion of, there's there's a ship people are you know working on it living on it housed on it and then they launch other smaller fighters mobile suits whatever they are from that big ship whether it be the white base or the galactica so i mean i i, I think that is a parallel i draw to gundam more so than 
even you know Star Trek or Star Wars or anything is Battlestar Galactica. I think it's interesting to note as far as the, the white base's aesthetic, it's pretty easy to see and just to give like maybe the viewers a visual idea if they can imagine it in their heads. It basically looks like a giant robotic kneeling Pegasus. It's got wings. It's got kind of like this tall command tower that looks kind of like a horse's head and these like two forward pods and these two back pods kind of like a sphinx kind of like a pegasus because of the wings and it's all in white and it's even got these two big gold shields on either side of the front and yeah it is a pretty badass looking ship it is yeah i i mean i think it looks pretty cool and and so we're, we're seeing the white base docking and then we see the purple-haired Lieutenant Tem Ray, and this is Amuro's father. So we see him for the first time, and we're introduced to another member of the ongoing supporting cast, 19-year-old Ensign Noah Bright. And, you know, they have this little conversation, and we kind of learn from their interactions that, you know, Tem Ray's goal is to mass-produce the Gundam, and he, you know, his goal is... If they mass-produce the Gundam, he feels it's going to end the war decisively. And, you know, basically kids like Bright and his own son, who he's got a portrait of, don't need to go into battle. You know, and, and this also gives us some some sort of expositional information where we, we can tell, like, Bright has seen the photo, and he kind of mentions, is that your son? So, so it's a way of imparting information onto the supporting cast and and telling the audience hey you know bright has noticed this kid is the son of tem ray and everything and then of course i have to mention which I've, I've dropped it a bunch before and if you were in the know you knew what i was talking about but if you don't i'm gonna explain it to you in the movie dub bright is like this british dude for whatever reason which always cracks me up so that's why i would refer to certain things as british bright because all of a sudden he becomes like c3po or something it's like i'm ensign bright yes i am and i'm 19 years old and that's right sir carry on sir you know and you're just kind of like wow that's fucking terrible but anyway henry the eighth i am i am <laughs> I was, I was actually going to ask you, Derek, and of course, Justin and Mike can obviously throw in their opinions. I, I would welcome it. From this first series, it's really established that, you know, a Gundam can be built. It was made by, like, engineers and technicians and stuff. And in a lot of later series, especially like, you know, alternate centuries and stuff, Gundams have more of a legendary status. It's like, it's a Gundam. Where did that come from? You know, or like, that hasn't been seen in a hundred years. What do you think about the idea that, like, yeah, we probably could mass-produce Gundams? Did that take anything away from it, or do you like the idea of legendary Gundams more, or was this actually refreshing, especially if you saw this after Wing? Was it like, like, oh, you, you could make a fucking Gundam, you know? I mean, me personally, I just think it refers to the, the eventuality of this series and that, you know, they have what they refer to as GMs, which is short for Gundam Mass Produced. So it's like not yeah. quite as. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a way of. It's kind of like saying like, okay, well, if Superman is the bestest, like you don't sort of detract from Superman, but there are all these kind of like Superman robots who can also help in a big battle at the end. You know, so it's kind of like the Gundam is still cool and looks distinctive and individual. But then they just do these Gundam mass-produced suits, which are basically, you know, those kind of, you know, the majority of the suits they use in, say, like, the MSA team. You know, the kind of ones that maybe don't look like Amuro Ray's Gundam. You know, they just kind of have the little visor and the, the faceplate and no pointy 
antenna or anything like yeah, that. But they're not webs, yeah, they're not useless. They're essentially like, you know, cannon fodder in a way, but I mean, but but the idea is they're all kind of like the, you know, probably not as good as Amuro's Gundam, but you know, that's why they're mass produced. You know, they're they're kind of like off an assembly yeah. line as opposed to, you know, specially made by all those specific engineers and designers and everything. I think like this might have bothered like some like someone because like I think I told you guys like in the in the first like volume of the origin, like they there's a whole like other subplot where there's actually two Gundams, like a, a two prototypes and the other Gundam fights off, like, another, like, batch of Zaku's on the other end of the, like, colony, and it gets destroyed, basically, so that the one that Amaro finds is the only one left. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, it is interesting, actually. What about you, Justin? Does it not matter to you either way, or did that, like, kind of, like, buggy, or did you, were you just like, you know, whatever, man, I mean, some Gundams are old, some are new, you know? <laughs> The thing I always liked about the original Gundam was that there was just the one Gundam, and I always liked to see like what kind of weird mobile suit or mobile armor like Char or whoever was going to pilot because it was always something really bizarre like you know something that's like a torso with like firing lasers out of its fingertips or something weird like I, I always <laughs> thought that was yeah. a little bit more interesting than just you know like Wing Zero and Epion fighting like you know, to the death or whatever. Like, I always like the, like, okay, you've got, like, a, a, a Gundam fighting some weird thing. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, I was always looking forward to that. Like Big Zam or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, instead of two knights jousting, you know, you, you were digging on the knight fights the dragon, basically. You know, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, like, sometimes they, they, they do that thing where they're, like, you know... Like, cause I just, I just want to bring this up because Justin did mention it. It is kind of funny because that whole series, you know, crap, can't remember his name. Uh, not, not Char, Gundam Wing. Zex Marquis. Zex, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, Trey. Uh, Zex, uh, he has the, uh, he has the, uh, um, the goose, whatever. The tall geese. The, the, the goose. <laughs> the geese. And he has like, the goose. bring me home, baby. Not, not going to let you down, goose. <laughs> Bring me home. Take mama home. It's, it's been it's it's been like ten years since I saw Gundam the original. It's been fifteen since I watched Wing. Give me a little bit of credit here. I'm gonna make a music video of Zex versus Hero set to Great Balls of Fire or something. <laughs> I'm sorry, Gundam fan. He does get like Toggies three and like the endless wall. See, I knew that. But yeah, it's just like at the end of Gundam Wing, he's just like, hey, guess what? I got a Gundam two. You know, it's yeah, it is kind of formulaic it is it is kind of cool to see like a unique big bad so yeah i'll, I'll definitely agree with that it's kind of cool that there's no other gundam in this universe except for the gundam yeah i i, I think I, I i'm i've always been a proponent of keeping it special yeah so i i, I do appreciate that and and so we you know continuing on with the the first episode we we see Temray and he arrives at the bridge to talk with the captain and I don't think the captain is named in this episode but is apparently his name is Paolo Cassius and this is one case where I actually prefer the movie dub VA to the television dub actor yeah that's don brown i think for the ocean group okay yeah yeah people might know him as scorponok on beast wars there you go yeah 
But he did, <laughs> he, he he always kind of sounded kind of forced to me too. Like he was yeah, trying yeah. to sound like an old man or or like uh like someone of authority, but it wasn't quite there. Yeah, yeah. So, and I mean, they, they kind of give more exposition about how they weren't able to outrun the Zeon ship, and this is basically a what's known as a, a Musai cruiser, which is, you know, kind of a green... I don't know, I, I kind of describe it as... They, they, they kind of look a bit like... Kind of like a shark. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of, like, the, the ships that the Renegades used to fly in GoBots, you know, these kind of, I don't know, blobby sort of bubbly ships or whatever i hate to draw the comparison but kind of like the zentrani ships in robotech yeah yeah no that's fair we get to the main guy i I don't let you and justin talk about this and i'll step aside (laughs) well i mean this this basically introduces us to the and brings us the first appearance of basically i i'd say more than just me and justin but this is this is the the fan favorite of all of japan apparently this is the red comet himself this is char asnoble not to be confused with sha from the movie dub but i i I just thought i'd throw out there for the english dub for the television version the the va is a gentleman named michael cospa or cop and I basically, like, I usually think of the Beast from X-Men Evolution uh, when it comes to Mr. Kopsa. And he's he's a really prolific Canadian actor. I mean, he, he's probably been in tons of movies and, and done tons of VA work. Like, you, you've probably heard his voice or seen him in a movie, but just don't realize you've seen him in a movie. You probably just... Yeah, one of those voices. And then the other thing of note for, say, fans of Cowboy Bebop and, you know, Wolverine and the X-Men or whatever recent things he's done, another popular voice actor, Steve Bloom, actually does the movie dub voice of Sha instead of Char, you know, so... There, I just thought I'd throw in that bit of information and everything. But is there is there anything anybody else wants to, to go into about their their first introduction to Char before we before we kind of continue on with the the plot of the first episode? I think I, I think I had some awareness of who Char was before I saw this series. Like I, I was kind of like, well, like I, same thing with the Leo, where I was like, oh yeah, this is the guy that like Zex Marquis like ripped off of basically. <laughs> See, like, I, I always really liked Zex yeah. from Gundam Wing, and, like, I he, I use Zex and Toggies as, like, for names on different websites and emails and things, and I remember someone was, like, asking me, like, why do you like Zex so much? He's just a, you know, he's just a Char ripoff, and I was like, well, I don't know who Char is, so you can just shut up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when, the, so when the, this was on Cartoon Network, I was like, all right, I want to see what this Char guy is all about, and, like, you know. I really like Char. I think he's one of the most interesting anime characters. So like, it was it was interesting to see him finally show up and get to know like this. Who's this Char guy? Like I like Zex, but you know now it's the opposite. Nice, nice. I am still waiting on that figure arts Bandai. Give me my goddamn Char figure arts. Yeah, I think later on as the show goes on, you you definitely get more of uh, Char's motivations and stuff. And he's a very complex character. I won't ruin anything for anybody who hasn't watched it. But you know, in this first episode, even he's he's only on screen like, God, maybe like four minutes. You know, like they, you know they show him and he says some stuff and everything. But you still get the idea that like, even with a little bit amount of screen time, what he says, you know, his troops are like, you know. 
not to you know sound you know cliched, but you know they're they're very much like yes, Lord Vader. You know, like he's a big deal. He's he's got some stroke. You know, he's a badass. Well, and and visually, he's also yeah he stands out. He he's set apart. I mean, the name the Red Comet is not just a, a clever nickname. Like he is he is covered in in a red uniform. And he's got this, you know, shiny silver helmet and mask and everything. And so I, I think, yeah, the Darth Vader aspect probably comes to some of his lines of dialogue and, and kind of the fact that he, he is masked and everything. But if you if you look at all the Zeon armed forces, I mean, the Zakus are green. You know, the, the Zeon military normally, I mean, yes, you know, occasionally later in the series, we're going to see people who are not uniformed in green. But the majority of Zeon fighting forces have traditional military colors and everything and so uh, and and like tony was saying like char basically is having this line of of dialogue with one of his lieutenants and everything and he suspects that there's a secret base and it could be developing advanced mobile suits that surpass even the pinnacle of the zeon forces the zaku and he's talking over with basically his second in command who's a guy named dren and the spies that infiltrated the colony, those are two guys. They, remember, Slender was left to watch the front door, basically. So the other two guys that are, are basically looking on with the binoculars and spying on the city and the colony and everything are two Zeon soldiers named Gene and Denim. They're Team Skinny Jeans. They called a fashion trend 30 years before it happened. Let's hear it for those three guys. Good job, guys. <laughs> So, so they, they the the fashion trend trio radio back to the Zeon command ship, and they confirm Char's suspicions that you know there there indeed is an advanced mobile suit there, and and then based on that, like the the two infiltrators, they they kind of have some infighting over whether they should you know remain on reconnaissance as they were ordered, or attack the newly developed mobile suits while they have the chance. And this guy, Gene, decides, hey, I better strike while the iron's hot. And he wants to sort of imitate all these daring stories he's heard about his commander, Char, the Red Comet. And, you know, we're not privy to all these stories, but we can tell this guy is, if anything else, hot shit among his troops and everything because they've all heard great stories and everything and he's clearly the leader because he's got his own little red jumpsuit and everything and so this guy gene decides he's going to assault the technicians moving the gundam parts onto white base against denim's explicit order not to engage the enemy so gene's sitting there and he's attacking like a gun cannon head and torso and he blows up a gun tank with the zaku rifle and all this kind of chaos is going on and everything and then meanwhile we've got amuro and frau Bo. And they're stuck in this emergency shelter with the rest of the town, and they can sort of hear and feel the attack outside. And, and Amuro is, like, positive these tremors are being caused by explosions, and he decides he's going to leave so he can request that the evacuees in these little facilities, in these little, you know, storage centers, basically be allowed refuge on board the white base. He wants to move everybody out of the shelters and onto the white base. And Amuro is nearly trampled by the attacking Zaku, and there are these gigantic shell casings that almost hit his frail human body, and he narrowly avoids them, and he jumps back into his red car, 
to zoom off looking for his father. And then he runs into, like, this other asshole Federation guy who basically is like, <laughs> you know, oh, your father's on the white base. And then, like, it's, it, it, it's a, does a really good job of, of displaying the uncertainties of war because a guy he was having a conversation with two seconds ago basically drives into this garage and then a missile from the Zaku hits that garage and totally blows those officers to kingdom come. And so, and, and, and then all this stuff like smashes up on Amaro's windshield and he's covered in rubble and surrounded by death. And it's like, he has this dawning realization. Like it's not just, I don't think it was a game for him before, but it was like he was kind of wrapped up in his own world. And this is the first moment where he's like, holy shit, like this, you know, basically at this moment, you know, shit has just gotten real. You know, I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm like, shit has just gotten real world, real world, side seven. When Zeon stop being polite, and start blowing up your home colony. <laughs> Yeah, the war never affected him at this point, and it's safe to assume as a teenager he'd never seen anyone die, especially violently. You know, maybe like a, a grandpa or something in a hospital, but he just saw two guys get blown up. And just take yourself out of that for a minute. Take yourself out of a TV show and just imagine you were talking to two people, and not even like a minute later, they get blown up. You would, yeah, you would definitely have like a realization of like, fuck, what the hell's yeah. going on? Yeah, I mean, yeah. This, this definitely displays the consequences of, of, you know, basically, you know, this this is another exemplary example of the real robot genre. <laughs> They're dead! And he's, like, terrified, but also, I, I guess you should explain what happens because of the explosion. The, the Zaku, then, is making short work of like there's there's all this sort of semi-traditional military weapons like there are all these military like there's missile launchers and tanks with cannons and they're getting blown away as well besides the two guys who got blown away in the garage and the jeep and everything and so because of the explosion as tony mentioned before among the rubble amuro stumbles onto the classified manual for the gundam mobile suit project which, you know, I mean, probably you assume it was, you know, on that Jeep or something and, and flew out when all the missiles killed those those passerby officers and everything. And then at this point, we actually cut to the eye catch, the commercial break. And it goes, sure, whatever. I don't know. Justin was saying he wanted to use that in the podcast at some point. But I didn't know if he wanted to talk about it or not. But... I just think that's such an unusual eye catch, you know. Usually an eye catch is just like a still image and, you know, some kind of little... Like Tony was saying earlier for Master of Wars, like... Dun, 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 dun. But with Gundam, it's just, you know... I assume it says Gundam in Japanese. And it's just, you know, this weird sound. It goes, shoo! <laughs> Something really high-pitched. You, you know what like... I thought was interesting was, was this first eye catch didn't spoil... The show, I guess, because we, we still really haven't seen the Gundam, not really up until this point. And most eye catches, you know, usually it's like, oh, here's the Gundam. Here's the white base. Here's 
Amuro and the crew or whatever. And at this point, we haven't really been introduced to any of that stuff because it's only the first half of the first episode. Yeah, it's a logo, yeah. So it's kind of like a, a black screen with a with a light and the logo and everything like that. And and I remember, like, they seem to take into account, like, I remember even Battle Fever J, like, took that into account where, you know, if they hadn't shown Battle Fever Robo, the, the eye catches were basically spoiler free, you know, until they introduced that element. And then, you know, after they introduced it once, then it was the eye catch for like the rest of the, the series and everything. And, and, you know, for this, I'm sure, you know, for the majority of the series, it's going to be a Gundam that we see with a beam saber and it's going to be like, shoo. It's a very 70s thing though. Cause like 70s shows in America, even at that time, even during a commercial break, they don't do it at all. Now it hasn't been done since like the eighties. They would actually have like, you know, a still scene of like something that just happened and they'll be like, we'll be right back, you know? So I think yeah, it's kind yeah. of, kind of I, I always used to make fun of those eye catches, especially when I would see them on like Trigon. Cause I'd always be like, and we're back, you know, like that was kind of what yeah. I was used to think of, of the eye catches. But I guess I appreciate Justin's kind of, you know, awe and wonder with, with this particular eye catch. Cause it's not so much. And we're back. It's more like, you know, it's just like this random you know, <laughs> thing. It's not like really telling you anything. And then it's like, then cut back to, yay! You know, and you're just kind of like, okay. Like, I guess we're, I guess we're back into the show, you know? Like, so, and, and I guess after this eye catch, you know, we do go back to Char on the Musai cruiser. And then, you know what, 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 what I think is, is weird is like, so now, Slender's talking to Char, basically. But then it, it almost kind of sounds like he's blaming Denim for supporting Gene's attack on the colony. But I'm kind of like sitting there going, well, Denim was the one who said he didn't want to do it. So now Slender's kind of like selling out his commander, like going, oh, well, these guys... These guys did it, but I didn't do it. You know, like, I didn't do this. Yeah, he's like, I was following orders and Denim followed him in to back him up. And it's like, dude, asshole. Yeah, it just seems like he's kind of selling out his buddies or whatever. And and then Char basically orders Slender to try and get as many pictures and as much intel as he possibly can before he needs to retreat. And then he orders his, his right-hand guy, Dren, to take them closer into side seven. And and this is the moment that I think, you know, kind of echoes Darth Vader a bit because, you know, Shar's kind of sitting there going, I may have to go there myself, you know, like it's like dun, dun, dun. And then they end up cutting back to the side seven colony and all these evacuees are kind of like leaving the shelters and crazed herds and everything. You just see like all these people, like they're almost like lines of, I don't know, ant farms or something, you know, the way they shoot it and everything and, and, and the way they're so sort of, uh, you know, non-detailed. Or lemmings, as we find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and then basically, Amuro's continuing to examine that Gundam manual. And, of course, we can't miss Frau Bo because she just won't go away. <laughs> so <laughs> Amuro, Amuro, Amuro! It's like, why don't you fucking go into white face? Anyway, so so basically she's pulling him to get away, and then the Zakus continue their assault on this Federation military base. So it's like all these evacuees get end up getting hit in the crossfire. So like a bunch of these evacuees get, you know, not really blown up, 
stuff, but they're like basically they're covered in rubble and you know basically you know there's incoming and all this other stuff. And so Amuro decides at this point to break off from the herd when he notices his dad in what they refer to on this series as a normal suit. But basically, for the rest of us who don't speak Gundam, it is a spacesuit. And, you know, they're getting ready to load all the Gundam parts and the Gundam onto White Base. And by then, you know, Amuro finally catches up to his father, and him and Temray have this minor confrontation. And Temray is basically saying, look, go get on White Base. And Amuro's kind of like, well, what's White Base? And, you know, it's it basically it was this warship that was docking in the colony and everything. And, you know, Amuro's kind of admiring the the Gundam, and then all of a sudden, all this shellfire rains down, and, you know, luckily for Frau Bo, her perpetual nagging and need to look after Amuro basically pays off because it saves her life. Because she actually moves away from the herd and is like, Amuro, Amuro, Amuro. And then, of course, everybody and their fucking brother get blown up except for Frau Bo. It's like, it's like, you know, well, I mean, you know, I guess I, I'm not trying to make light of the situation, but it's like her 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 mother and grandfather die in the explosion behind her. I actually, like, like your mentioning of her constant nagging, I kind of just, like, pictured her. She's flying in the air. She's like, Amra, Amra, these guys can't even shoot good. If they knew how to shoot, they would have killed me. God, what lousy shots, Amra. <laughs> Yeah, but but I mean I mean you know this is supposed to be that moment yeah, it, it, the, it's the, a big the moment, real yeah. robot moment where it is it is kind of like this heavy scene where you know there because because the the idea is you know it's like you know at this point even Amuro who is kind of into his own little world per se is like oh my god like this you know yeah she's nagging me and yeah like you know she's kind of like a hanger on type chick but it's like he doesn't. He doesn't want anything bad to happen to her. He doesn't want her to get blown up. So he's, of course, running for her and everything and making sure she's okay. But, I mean, basically, all the people she broke off from to go chase after Amuro are dead. You know, and she's crying over her mother. And at this point, you know, Amuro literally has to, like, smack some sense into her. It's like, you know, snap the fuck (laughs) out of it right now. Like, this is not the time to be, you know, waddling in self-pity. Like, you walk your ass to fucking white base and get the hell out of here, otherwise you're going to be dead. I will say, it's kind of funny, like, because, I was going to say, it's kind of funny because, I guess it's because of the animation, he, like, you know, he picks her up, he's trying to, like, you know, literally smacks his fist to her, and he's like, whap, you know, you got to pull yourself together, he's just like, pap, <laughs> just like this little smack on the side of the face. <laughs> it's like, did you just not get enough on that first one? He just had to do enough. I think the second was, like, the first one was like, wake up, and the other one's just like, this is just for you being you, pap. <laughs> One thing I always liked about this is that it's it's a very different from you know Gundam Wing and Gundam Wing you have hero like going you know mission accomplished and he's blowing shit up and he doesn't he doesn't care he's very stoic and cold and you know he seems very desensitized to these things he's doing but like wh- whereas now in this first episode you have Amaro and Frau Bo like they're exposed to war for the first time like. You know, when that Jeep or whatever is destroyed right in front of Amuro, you can see, like, how shocked he is. Like, he's seen someone die, like, right in front of him, like, in a combat situation. And then, you know, Frau Bo loses her family right there in front of her. And, like, all these people are dead around her. And you, you can see that it's a very shocking thing for these characters, and it feels real. Whereas, you know, Wing, it was just, you know, kids blowing stuff up and they didn't care. And I, I like this. This is a lot more more real and more interesting, like, psychologically. 
to me. I'm joking about Frau Bo, you know, and like her nagging because Derek brought it out of me. But I mean, it is it is a heartfelt scene. You do feel bad for Frau Bo. It's 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 not like I'm making jokes just because of her dialogue. But her dialogue in that instance, yeah, she obviously cared about her family. Who wouldn't? And it, yeah, this is her first time seeing this, and Amro's already seen it. And he even tries to like you know help her up and get her motivated to get back to like safety. So yeah, yeah definitely, definitely a strong, strong scene. Yeah, I think yeah, like it's very effective. And like I think the bit where she's like trying to climb up the hill and she sort of like falls down it, like that's a little effective little moment. Well, he's also he's also you know he he's crying, but he's also kind of rooting for her. You know, kind of like you can. You can do this. Like you can, you can get through this. Like I mean, he knows it sucks, but it's like you know, it's kind of like, come on, get up the mountain, get up. Okay, good, good. You're doing it. You you can do it. I know you can. It's like it's almost like he's almost telling himself that as much as he's telling her that. Like she's gonna she's gonna make it. She's gonna be okay. And then you know, and then at that point, I mean, he's kind of all in. He's like, I'm gonna run back to this this Gundam and and get in the cockpit and everything. And you know, it's like the the Zaku's are getting closer to White Base, and Ensign Bright is getting all the evacuees on board of White Base, and we we kind of see hints of characters who are going to become part of the supporting cast in that sequence, but it sort of happens so fast that you know, we'll, we'll, you know, I I didn't really write down any of their names, but I think it was like Kika and and some of the kids and stuff like that. Yeah. Easy like the bridge crew and the survivors, yeah, stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, and 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 so then basically at this point, the you know the the Zaku, you know, I think that Gene is is piloting finally notices the Gundam, and and at this point, you know, Amaro is kind of like pleading for the suit to 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 get up to stand up so he can do something, and he's frantically looking for weapons and he starts firing the Vulcan cannons, and the Vulcan cannons are basically like these. When I say little, I guess you know you have to understand this is relative to a gigantic mobile suit. But there are these little machine guns that are embedded in the head of the Gundam mobile suit. So you know, basically, it's machine gun fire. Basically, imagine if you had machine gun fire coming out of your ears, and that's what the Vulcan cannons are, <laughs> or, or maybe like out yeah. of the temples of your head or something like that. Like that's what that's what Vulcan cannons are. And you know, he he misses because he's you know obviously greener than green. And then even though he's surprised, Gene decides, like, this is the moment to close in and finish off this Federation mobile suit. And then Amaro is basically struggling to stand the RX-78-2 Gundam upright. And Gene opens fire, which basically, like, I mean, this is the one aspect of the super robot genre that sort of carries over. Because, you know, if, if this was totally realistic, I suppose... The machine gun fire would kill Amuro, and that'd be the end of the story. But in in this case, you know, this is the super robot aspect where you know the suit is virtually unharmed. Gundamium alloy. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and and finally, you know, the Gundam gets stood up, and you know, Denim and Gene think, look, we're we're gonna retreat now. But Amuro basically starts to target them. And, and one thing I thought I'd point out to me that I always thought of, you know, because, you know, at this point, you know, I was kind of done with Star Wars or, or getting close to being done with Star Wars. But, I mean, you know, you're always going to think of certain things that are similar. And, and the one thing that I thought was incredibly influenced by Star Wars was the targeting tool. Like, this, this looks exactly like the targeting tool. that Yeah, it slides up for the back to the front, yeah. 
it, you know, it looks exactly like the targeting tool that Luke Skywalker uses in the X-Wing fighter. So, I mean, that that's kind of what I thought of when I saw him using that, that targeting tool. Yeah, and it, it actually shows, like, even in, like, a few seconds, he's learning because he was firing the Vulcans just, you know, blind. He was like, ah, oh, I tried to hit something. And then he pulls up the targeting tool and, like, while he's not nailing any hits, he's actually trying to aim now and actually trying yeah. to shoot things. Yeah. And, and, you know, and Amuro is still missing, like you're saying. He's missing the Zakus. And, and then he ends up sort of unloading all of his ammo. So the Vulcan cannons are basically empty. And then, you know, Gene basically is like, all right, well, now he's out of ammo. So now I'm going to, you know, resume my attack on the Gundam. And th- this part is kind of funny, and this goes back to something that Justin had mentioned earlier, is, you know, th- this is, again, the Gundam just basically slaps the rifle out of the Zaku's hands, and then he grabs what we're referring to as either the the breathing apparatus or the, the gas mask on the Zaku, and he basically, like, rips off that tube attached to the head, and then the force of him ripping it off just basically pushes the Zaku back and slams him into a building and everything. So this is that moment where it's like, you know, the guys are like, this is the power, you know, like what? This is the new Federation mobile suit, you know, like everybody's kind of, you know, sort of in awe, like the, 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 the rifle fire didn't blow it up and he didn't even have a weapon. And he just basically pwned like the, basically the, the, the pride of the Zeon, infantry yeah it's also funny to see gene who is like so gung-ho and like almost arrogant you know he's like i could be like char i could do this and then like kind of gets his wallet half handed to him it was not a full wallet taking but still like armor took it up his wallet where he's like shit 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 you know he's like one of these things i will have half of all that you earn and then it's like what you know that's impossible you know and denim's moving in to assist gene and then amuro locates you know because basically at this point he's like okay i'm out of ammo with the vulcan cannons what else can i use as a weapon and he sees that he's got these two beam sabers on his back and you know basically it's the giant robot version of a lightsaber you know it's it's this 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 long saber that has you know energy extending from it and everything and you know basically as gene is retreating amuro basically pulls the beam saber from the gundam's back and then it basically goes into the now you know this is iconic you know this sequence you know it famously cuts the zaku in two and you know this is tony and mai's avatar and more than likely will be the title card of this first episode and you know, <laughs> uh, on this show, you just, know, just make sure you use your version. Use your version, not mine. <laughs> use use the version. high, use the high res version. And and it lands hard on the ground as the suit like basically explodes in the background to the horror of denim, and 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 you know, I guess to the horror of anybody who's in the vicinity too, because this basically ruptures the colony hole. And now, like, you know, before it was like this Earth-like environment and everything. Now it's exposed to the cold vacuum of space. And, you know, not trying to spoil too much, but I'll just say it looks as if Tim Ray and one of his colleagues are sucked out into the vacuum. But remember, they are wearing what is referred to as normal suits and space suits. So we, we don't really know what happens to them, but they are sucked out into the vacuum of space. And then Denim runs in to attack the Gundam. And based on what had just happened, 
Amaro's kind of worried, like, about another destructive explosion within the colony walls, but ultimately, Denim's cockpit is stabbed clean through. Now, th- this is something I wanted to ask you guys about with the various interpretations. Now, it could just be maybe I wasn't paying close attention, but it seemed like to me in the TV dub, I just... I. I think the idea is eventually Amuro decides, well, as long as I just aim for the cockpit and I don't, you know, blow up the engine, like what I just did won't happen a second time. But I I think for some reason that was a lot more clear to me when I was watching either the Japanese subtitles or ironically when I was watching the movie dub. But I don't feel like I got that vibe from the TV dub. Was I just sort of asleep at that point or or what were you guys' thoughts on you know basically Amaro's sort of train of thought at that point even though it was sort of frantic I, I would say like I watched the Japanese though too just because I was like because they there had been mentioned that they had omitted some scenes which doesn't seem to be the case as far as I can tell but like I think it was just a tsunami version but yeah when I watched the Japanese dub when he's talking he actually is going through it in his head he's like that can't happen again maybe he doesn't know for sure but he's like maybe if i just stab the cockpit it won't end up the same way and there won't be an explosion so yeah i think it is made more clear in the japanese dub so okay okay i was checking because i you know i could have i could have missed something but I, I i felt like it was more clear when i watched either the movie dub or, or the original japanese language like that was I, one instance i mean most of the translations are pretty strict but that was one instance where i felt like i was missing a, a beat i don't know i i I'd always kind of like I, I always like realized his intent basically like no matter okay. what version i watched although okay. it, it is weird that like i'm like where is the reactor in that zaku because he kind of like stabs <laughs> yeah. the exact same area he cut like the zaku and two in so mm. like, maybe he was just a little more precise this yeah time. I, I i think the idea is maybe he just cut it in twain a little too low where he actually you know hit the the reactor whereas this He's like precision aiming the beam like straight into the cockpit because you get the idea even when he pulls it out of the cockpit. It's like this almost precision little hole. I guess the the way when he exits the 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 strike he made, you, you can tell it's it was a lot more focused. It's like he didn't cut the whole thing in twain and it, he, he explicitly focused on the cockpit and everything. So you get the idea. Oh, OK, great. He used some you know, ninja-like precision to avoid, you know, he, he, he hit the human being inside, but not not anything that would blow up the rest of the colony. Yeah, it, it was a good fight, too. It was like, uh, again, I, I keep bringing this up because of the stuff we talked about. And I know this has actually been released, so this will actually make sense. But again, it was kind of like Star Wars The Force Awakens. This was not a graceful fight. Amuro is, like, fighting every second to, like, figure out what the hell he's doing. And he doesn't kill, like, you know, Gene because he's good. He kills him because he's pissed, you know? Well, yeah, it seems like it's 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 made up of multiple factors, you know? It's like he's learning how to use the suit, and, and his saving grace is that even though there are, you know, more experienced soldiers in mobile suits, their mobile suits just aren't strong enough to crack the armor of the Gundam. So, you know, he basically, yeah. you know, gets to... To carry on. And then there's like a scene with, with Bright, basically, and, and they're kind of like, oh, well, wh- whoever that person is piloting the Gundam, you know, is basically like, that boy is our only hope, you know, or whatever. And and then we've got a scene <laughs> of the Shars Musai cruiser attacking the colony, 
And then, you know, Slender basically is the one guy who survived this encounter, and he's on his way to rendezvous with the Musai. And then this was an interesting, you know, Japanese language, TV dub, movie dub kind of faux pas, at least in my mind. But basically, at this point, Char kind of comments that he'll need to admit mistakes due to his youth as the Musai continues its attack. Now, on its own merits, I think when he says that, he's talking about himself. Like, that, that, that's my interpretation I, I that way, yeah. correctly. Yeah. And, and what's, what's interesting is, you know, I mean, you know, I think by this point, I mean, me and Mike have talked about it a couple times, but I think Char is supposed to be about, like, 19 or 20 as this is going on, even though he's a high-ranking commander and has done all this cool shit. Like, he's still a pretty young guy. And I think he's sort of saying, oh, I was so eager to get in on this, you know, that, that part of this is I'm partially to blame, you know, like for, for some of the stuff that has gone down here and all this kind of stuff. But what, what I think is kind of hilarious is the movie dub does a lot of interpretation and then re-dialoguing of, you know, the, you know, maybe they think the, you know, straight up translation of Japanese lines is boring or the grammar sounds funny and doesn't sound natural and they go out of their way to tweak it and change it. But the movie dub pretty much like it either distorts the comment or makes it even more confusing because instead of saying he, they refer to it as slender. And it's basically like when slender gets back, he'll need to be reprimanded. And I'm kind of like, but wait a minute, like, Slender didn't do anything wrong. Like, Gene was the guy who went against orders, and he paid for it with his life. So it's like, it's like I think they, I think it's just a matter of the, the people who interpreted it made the wrong interpretation of the dialogue and didn't realize, like, Char was talking about himself. But I, I just thought that was something interesting to bring up. Where's Slender now? Looks like he escaped Side 7. He's headed this way. Nobody ever likes to admit to mistakes due to his own youth, but I guess this time I simply have no choice. What happened to Slender? He managed to escape from side seven. He fought his way back to the ship. I hope he learns from his mistakes. He'll have to be reprimanded. But we all made errors like that when we were young. Yeah, I I would agree because, again, I mean, I, I, I don't want to spoil things, but as the series goes along, Char can be very arrogant at times, you know, very confident in his abilities, especially when he's in his suit. But he's also like when he's in command, when he's just like, you know, on his bridge, he does he does have wisdom beyond his years. He does have maturity. And I, I think he would be that kind of guy who would be like, yeah, I fucked up. You know, I'm not going to tell my troops, but uh, I got to be more careful in the future. You know, he's like Slender. I'm blaming you for genes and confidence. <laughs> It's something a responsible commander should do. Yeah. Team you failed me for the last time. Exactly. He's like, Gene was just trying to be awesome like I am, and you didn't do a thing to help him. <laughs> be more awesome. Come on, man. You know, and, and then basically at that point, I mean, you know, it ends on the Musai, like, attacking the colony and, like, launching missiles at it and everything. And and then it goes into the next episode blurb, which basically, you know, kind of leads you to believe we're going to find out more about Char and the Red Comet. 
And, you know, that that he'll have an encounter where he fights Amuro in the next episode, which is titled Destroy Gundam. And, of course, it constantly ends with who will survive, you know, and that's that's basically how a lot of the next episode blurbs go. You know, it's it's kind of also, you know, bringing up that whole real robot, you know, anybody can die type notion, you know, that that just because they're the main characters doesn't mean they're exempt from from getting killed. You know, and then and then I don't know if this is something you guys want to talk about either, but I've always found this end song amusing. You know, the whole Amaro, you know, like, you know, so you're talking about that. Yeah. Amaro, Amaro, Amaro. He is filled with turtle meat. He is really fun to eat. Amaro, Amaro, Amaro. Yeah, so. Actually, I think Justin was the one who brought that up. Did you want to say something about that, Justin? You're talking about the Amaro ending theme song. It's just such a, you know, odd little ending song. It's like it's almost like melancholy. It's, I, don't know, I guess it's appropriate for this series, but it's not, you know, I guess it's not like what you're used to. Yeah, yeah, no, I I totally see that. So, I mean, I mean, this kind of, you know, this will wrap up our coverage of the first episode of mobile suit gundam so this this is this was uh gundam rising i mean is there any any final thoughts that anybody wants to impart on the listening audience before we close out the episode on gundam rising i would just say for me i i walked into this like i said about 10 plus years ago not really sure what i would see because i was used to gundam wing which was god 20 years after this and i was like i hope it's good and I wasn't let down. I thought it was a really strong first episode. And again, I think people who hate on the animation style for it being old, just give it a chance, man. Don't don't automatically write something off just because it's old. It's a really good, strong, like you know, quote unquote, you know, series premiere. And the characters are engaging. The Gundam is awesome. It's got a good fight at the end. I mean, what else do you want? It's it's like textbook Gundam. You know, just check it out. I mean, I've I've always liked it, but I think I, I have a lot more appreciation for it, like, nowadays, like, like rewatching it, especially, like, for this episode, I was like, man, this is really good. And like I said, when I was talking about, you know, the Gundam Wing versus OG Gundam, like, I, I like the more kind of real world, you know, serious psychological consequences and stuff like that, whereas, whereas Gundam Wing, I guess, you know, would be like, you know, it has a better animation and... You know, in a certain sense, I guess it is more, you know, exciting and faster paced. Like, I like, I like this approach. I, I agree with all you guys. I mean, I, I think, I think it's fun to find a newfound appreciation for the series and everything like that. And, you know, I, I think, you know, speaking as far as the, the Blu-ray goes, I mean, I'm going to pimp and promote the whole right stuff anime blu-ray sets because that that was a fun way to revisit this you know the sound was awesome and and of course the picture quality is great and everything like that and you know fie on all those people who think this is old and cruddy animation because i i think it's sweet i mean you, you know what i've always loved is like those you know the the soundtrack covers and everything i mean i swear to me it's like you know char Aznable was drawn by like neil adams i mean to me it's it's, you know, real yeah. enough. Yeah, it, it's nice that Amaro is, like, he, he's attractive, I would say, like, as far as a lead character, but he's not a bishy pretty boy, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's true, too. I mean, yeah, there's, there's you know, if anybody's bishy and pretty, it's probably Char and Garma or something, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but, 
Anyway, Amaro's got that Brillo hair. Yeah, that Corey got... Matthews <laughs> Brillo hair. Well, here's the real test. I'm pretty sure uh, Char has his own body pillow. Is there a Amaro body pillow? <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna Google that, Justin. You'll have to. You'll have to fill us in next episode on how that goes. But uh, yeah, I, so yeah, I think I think this wraps up the the inaugural you know first portion of our index series on Mobile Suit Gundam. We we hope you've enjoyed listening to the you know sort of breaking the ice you know background in the first half and then listening to the details of the first episode in the second half and you know as i was saying you know our plan moving forward is to continue to do more episodes like these and of course we'll we'll intersperse some other stuff you know like we normally do with with some of the other series that we've already started such as thunderbolt and so on but you know the the plan is to keep doing this you know until we finish you know i i hope you have enjoyed listening to this as much as we've enjoyed revisiting the series and and if you've never watched the original Gundam, I, I guess I would just end it on imploring you to, you know, check it out. I mean, I you know, I guess if this hasn't made you want to check it out, maybe we haven't done our job good enough. But yeah, I would I would say you know please check it out. Like it's worth watching, and and it's it's you know it, it's iconic. You know, it's 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 a staple of you know the the mecha and Gundam genre and everything. So it's it's pretty awesome. And oh my God, there's a sharp. <laughs> Bed pillow. I just got an uh, image in the the chat browser. I'm frightened. Not need to see my, those abs. Not I'm need to see those abs. Dear life. Um. Wow. All right. Okay. Where's Where's Lala's um bed pillow, man? What's going on? Anyway, so. That is wrapping up the first, you know, inaugural original Mobile Suit Gundam episode. And, of course, you can continue to listen to us on Mobile Suit Mondays. We also have our other Fan Holes spinoff shows, such as Transformers Tuesdays, Sentai Saturdays, and Toku Thursdays. And, of course, there is the Fan Holes podcast proper show. You can check all that stuff out on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. If you have any questions, concerns, uh, you want to write in and let us know what you thought of this episode, you can do so at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on all kinds of social media, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Stitcher, radio where we can you know stream the episodes we're on itunes so all that kind of good stuff so please check us out on there and again we appreciate any feedback all the likes or you know retweets or anything like that that's been going on lately and until the next time this is going to be derek derek wc signing off to go play with my sharp bed pillow <laughs> this is mike and uh Man, yeah, like Char's all like, you want to see my red comet? Like on that pillow. <laughs> hey, this is Justin. Hey, this is Tony, and I don't want to see Char's final attack in that fucking pillow. <laughs> hey, it's a counterattack, so you had to do something first. <laughs> アムロ、お前が捨てた故郷だ。忘れはしない少年の日の誓いを青春をかけ守り抜けこの幸せを。
아무도 불이 묵고 나무도 男は寂しさ隠すもの隠すものただ明日へと明日へと永遠に覚えてゆかい少年の火のことを温かい温もりの中で目覚めた朝をアムロ振り向くなアムロ 男は涙を見せぬものを見せぬものただ明日へと明日へと永遠にいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいいい
And at the end, we can all sing the ending or whatever. It can be like, Amoro, like something, something, you're oh. a good boy, yeah, or whatever. That's all I understood, too. Yeah, it's something like that, yeah. I know what shonen means. Uh, more better, or better, uh, more better. <laughs> more better. This approach more better is, is best. But the majority of Xeon fighting forces have traditionary, uh, traditional military covers, colors. What the hell's wrong with me? I can't, I'm, I'm like, I can't, I can't say that correctly. I'm all, they have traditional military colors. I was trying to like amalgamate words or something. I don't know what I was doing. My brain was, anyway. Come inside. Snoopy's, Snoopy wants to talk about Gundam too. <laughs> oh, Gracie's wing! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. He's like, don't do not talk shit about Garzy's wing. It's my favorite. Uh, my request was, you know, in the middle of the episode where they sh- has the logo and it goes shoo, like that. <laughs> that needs to be in the episode somewhere randomly. Just, shoo, <laughs> shoo, shoo. I, I forgot about that. And I started laughing. 